0: Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the movie review podcast where I don't use sound effects.
1: Oh, there's oh. a n- new twist. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 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 you scamp. My name is William Bibbiani. I am a critic for The Rap and Consequence, and everybody calls me boobs. Uh My name is Whitney Seibold. I am a critic. I write for Slash Film. Right. Quite a lot for Slash Film, in and, fact. And how?
2: <laughs> e-
1: effectively, that's so, how. Uh, what, what did I write about today? I wrote about um, uh, Star Trek Prodigy. <clears throat> well, not a day goes by when I don't write about Star Trek, it seems. I wrote about the film Alien. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically, uh, the myth, sort of the mythos of Alien, and okay. how it altered. Because it yeah. wasn't until James Cameron made a sequel. Yeah. that uh we learned uh, audiences that is mm-hmm. learned the source of the alien eggs like in, in the first movie that egg opens up and mm-hmm. a little that cockroach monster jumps on yeah the Dunhurst existence space. of an
0: alien queen was invented in aliens
1: yeah they yeah. they gave uh, uh somebody put it this way they said they gave the the series in like a video game boss monster essentially I it's mean, a Pokemon evolution I mean the some
0: eggs usually yeah. come from somewhere it's not
1: an illogical.
0: Uh, well, decision to make. They, they
1: were kind of egg shaped but you know they just yeah. described them as eggs they didn't necessarily have to be eggs they were I appreciate storage them. pods of some kind Fair but uh, in 2003 mm. they added like a few old scenes back into alien and re-released it in theaters just sort of the director's cut they called it, it wasn't the director's cut because actually one of those scenes ridley scott didn't want to shoot oh. it was written into the script and he shot it because he was under contractual obligation to make it as close to the script as possible.
0: Was this so, the uh, scene where Tom Skerritt yeah, was all Tom, tied up? Yeah. Tom
1: Skerritt is all like tied up and he's all dried out and he's all perspiring and he's like cocooned in an egg. Yeah. And the idea was that the the creature is like cocooning people against the wall and turning them into the eggs. And the mm. human bodies would be transformed into those the, little mm. face hugging things. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that was never meant to be part of any of this. Yeah, that was that was that was cut. But, uh, but now we have both directors' cuts of both movies. Yeah. So they contradict each other. And then there's Prometheus, which contradicts everything. Even, yeah. Even yeah. Alien. Like, a, a little bit. I a mean, little it,
0: bit. A little bit. They contradict Alien. Yeah.
1: Well, what, just, what does
0: it contradict about Alien? I don't see it. I I do know it. There's something about it that does. I's Cameron right. fan. I didn't think it was going to be
1: grilled on Prometheus today. Well, I mean, that's the unexpected nature of this show, isn't it? Isn't
0: it just? Anyway, this time on Critically Acclaimed, we're reviewing new movies. Uh-huh. We got a whole bunch of them, actually. Uh, we're reviewing the new superhero movie, Black Adam. The new romantic comedy, Ticket to Paradise. The new romantic comedy, Terror Train. The new romantic comedy, The Banshees of Inisherin, The new romantic comedy, VHS 99. The new romantic comedy, Slayer's... And the new hard-hitting drama, Noel Next Door.
1: Oh no! Oh, you you didn't watch another. Christmas it is movie. time. It's not even Halloween yet. You couldn't wait. Hallmark couldn't. What am I supposed to do? Not review movies. I have a job. Uh, I have a job. I review movies. You know, Martin McDonough re- made a new movie. Yeah, uh-huh. sort of like a, a significant ish figure. I in, won't know that filmmaking. until I won't know if it's a significant film until I see it. And yet, somehow, you're you're all in on the, the Hallmark shit. And how would you know that those aren't significant unless you watch them all? I've seen enough. No, have you really? Well, let me tell you something. I haven't
0: exactly been high on Martin McDonough lately. Well, that's... excuse me for not being super excited about the Three Billboards guy coming back. That's
1: fair. Okay. Thank
0: you. <laughs> Gonna, I review the movies I can watch. I couldn't get out to the Banshees of Inisherin
1: in time. But excuse me mm. for trying to cover our bases. I, You know what? I appreciate your devotion. Thank you. And the level of professionalism you bring to reviewing this garbage. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, we'll talk about that won't yeah. we? Anyway, let's start with...
0: Uh, probably the biggest movie that opened over the weekend at least in terms of box office right. uh, there is a new superhero movie it is called Black Adam That's it is sweet. something that uh, Dwayne Johnson has been connected to in one way or another for over 15 years yeah
2: 15 yeah.
0: years he's been trying to get this or some variation of it into theaters it took 15 years to bring you this masterpiece Whitney how is it? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I have so little to say about Black Adam. <laughs> There's just nothing about Black Adam that's, like, the least bit interesting. Uh, so, yeah, this is the the 12th film if you count both cuts of justice league uh-huh. uh and sort of the the dcu the, the de- are you, are detective you... comics extended universe are you are, and, uh... you are
0: you including like the sort of tangentially related stuff like joker and the batman
1: which nope. aren't in this continuity nope, okay nope, these are not oh, just to be clear 12th film in this particular continuity that includes okay. both films that are called suicide squad because uh-huh. uh, those are connected and yep. uh Shazam yep. uh, and uh, a Batman TV Superman series or two the... as well there was Peacemaker which I didn't see or it was it's good a, a spinoff yeah, yeah. I, I've heard good things about Peacemaker uh, yeah this is the twelfth one and Black Adam is a Shazam yes uh, but they don't mention the hero Shazam in this no,
0: movie which is a little curious once. not even in the, uh, not,
1: not even in the moments when it really would make sense if yeah. they
0: did there's literally a, a character in this movie who's like a young kid and he's a huge superhero nerd it's uh, bedroom is covered with superhero mm. posters, and when a guy shows up wearing Shazam's costume but palette swapped, like mm. all the other
1: Shazams, yeah, well, we've seen other Shazams. Yeah, so it's not even weird. Like, they're like a rainbow of outfits yeah. with a big yellow lightning bolt. He on knows chest. about
0: all the other superheroes in this universe. And by the way, don't forget, Shazam was not a secret. Shazam was posting on social media for crying out loud. Mm. Everyone knew that. Everyone knows that Shazam exists. And when this guy shows up wearing Shazam's costume, the kid goes, "Oh, you're kind of like the Flash and Superman.
1: Really, you don't think he's a wee bit like Shazam, <laughs> like a smidgen?" I mentioned Shazam because I really love Shazam. Shazam's I, a good movie. I, I think Shazam's one of the better superhero movies, just period. I, mm-hmm. it, it has the. Um, a sense of excitement and wonderment about superheroes that a lot of the the other movies are, I think, are a little too cool to acknowledge.
0: It has uh, something that I was just... I was thinking about this recently. Mm-hmm. It was Someone mentioned um, <sighs> like that superhero movies left them kind of cold, and they didn't mm-hmm. feel like very uh, uh, emotional watching them. And I okay. was like, what is a superhero movie that left me feeling emotional? And a great answer for that one was Spider-Man 2. Okay. Spider-Man 2. Uh, Logan. Sure. Look, I'm not saying I'm not saying it's the only one, but for me when I was thinking about it, like Spider-Man 2 felt like it wasn't it's a cool action movie. There's a lot of great mm. fun action sequences in it. It satisfies on that level. But what it has that I think too few superhero movies have. It's not the only one, but too few is a really complete uh, uh, and affecting emotional journey yeah. for the protagonist, where they actually go through stuff and difficult times really affect them. It's not like we have a sad montage while someone dies, and then we go into a fight sequence. It's like no, they are an emotional being, and what happens mm-hmm. matters to them. And yeah, Logan is a good example of that. Um, I would argue. Um, well, they, I would argue Shazam is. That's why I was hmm. the point. I'm bringing it to the the, the young protagonist in Shazam. Is searching for his missing mother, and there's the sequence where he finds her, and it's brutal, it's devastating, and and it's really, really powerful. There's all of like the protagonist characters, and even the villain is a villain because he wasn't loved as a child, and Mm -hmm. that actually like that sounds like a cliche, but in the movie they actually play it out really, really well. I felt more Mm -hmm. watching that than I did watching most of the other DCEU movies, even the ones that were trying Mm. to do that because I felt like a film like, for example, Man of Steel, which has the big beats, his dad dies and all that kind of stuff, kind of overplayed. Everything was so huge, nothing uh, felt real.
1: A lot. Yeah, Yeah. what I've noticed about Black Adam is actually a big issue that's uh, across most of the DC movies, but a lot of superhero movies in general, is Mm. uh, the, the characters themselves don't have a personal goal. Yeah. Apart from uh, defeat bad guy in battle, so you know Mark that's Boy, yeah. that's you know the plot. We're gonna yeah. get MacGuffin and destroy bad yeah. guy in some way. But
0: Rocky's Rocky's purpose was not to beat up Apollo Creed. No, Rocky's purpose no, no. was to prove himself. Exactly. He added, exactly. I, I know, feel there's like a, there's an emotional journey. That, it. that yeah.
1: kind of emotional journey is absent. It's definitely absent from the character of Black Adam. Mm-hmm. Uh, Black Adam uh, has his origins five thousand years ago in a, a fictional country called Kandak. And uh, uh, it, the people of Khandak have been enslaved by an evil king who's looking for, uh, not unobtainium, what's... Eternium. A, eternium. A, a, a mag-
0: mythical mineral that he's going to turn into a crown
1: of, that'll give him magic powers. Yeah, and if he gets, I guess if he gets enough of it together, he, he can have magic power. So he decides to use it, build it into a crown. Yeah. Uh, Right, right when uh, a rebellious young boy is about to be executed by the evil king, he's whisked away by the Shazam wizards. And uh, and uh, Jimon Hunsu is in it, reprising his role from mm-hmm. Shazam. And they give him Shazam powers. He zaps back, and the conflagration is so great that it destroys the central temple and, uh, I guess, all of civilization and conduct temporarily? It's uh, pretty
0: vague, honestly. The yeah. implication is that there was a fight, and it was so bad that the hero was punished, ultimately, by the Shazam Wizards... Mm -hmm. And like like sort of sent into hibernation It's like
1: embedded in a magical stone uh... But the legend in the
0: thousands of years that passed Is that Kondok has a mythical protector Not unlike someone like Hercules Mm. Uh, And there are statues to him to this day And it's all very much like he he is the national hero And now cut to the present day Kondok is in the Middle East And the the country is going through a period of occupation (laughs) Uh, Now that actually sounds like that's a really interesting backdrop for a superhero Movie we're talking about a superhero story in which a hero, a hero of the people, comes to a place that has actually been living with colonialism, mm. uh, the the Western intervention uh, this whole time. You're like, wow, okay, that could actually be really challenging. What would that do to like global stability if, for example? Black Adam showed up in Iraq in the late 2000s. That would have been potentially a real big thing. And then the movie completely chickens out of that because well, it's being occupied by a fictional mercenary force. You know, like yeah. mercenaries
1: always like taking over countries? Mercenary, they, yeah, they're soldiers yeah. for high. It's, yeah, the sort of like multicultural force. Yeah. And it's never explained why, but they have like high tech sci fi weapons. Yeah. They, and flying uh, motorcycles. They're called Intergang. If you're familiar
0: with them from the comics, the idea is that basically in a world full of sci-fi and and fantasy creatures and and whatever uh there would be organized crime that uses high-tech stuff. And uh, that's the idea of Intergang. However, it would, would have been great if there was maybe
1: a single line of dialogue that explained a that.
0: Single line, but they don't have that and and honestly just making Intergang, hey, I think they even call them mercenaries, but they don't say who they're working for. So they're just Generic invaders that we're allowed to kill mm. because they're not Americans, which is more likely who they would be if this situation weren't an allegory.
1: Uh, and also, their oppression, really vague. Yeah, because like they're, they're checking IDs, but we're not really sure what they control. The worst
0: that we, we uh, see them trying to steal this, like Eternium stuff. Mm. They're going after that. They're trying to find this magic uh, um, crown. Okay but we don't actually see them do things that are genuinely oppressive. I assume because it would be extremely depressing to evoke actual bad things that are happening and have happened mm. uh, in, in conflicts in the Middle East. And so the majority of what we see is people waiting in lines. There's a yeah. lot of scenes of people waiting in lines and like little kids like, oh, you're gonna he's making us wait in line. And I'm like, yeah, so it's a bureaucracy. That's the problem? Like, you're really... You've erased this genuine, interesting, real backdrop on which to tell a fantastical story and potentially say something really meaningful or at least interesting about it, and you've completely backtracked from any actual meaning you could possibly uh... have by trying
1: to take it as easy as possible on the audience? What the hell are we doing with that? Speaking of... uh backtracking anything interesting to take it easy on the audience uh, Mm. through a a bit of uh, you know malfeasance and tomb raiding and all the rest of the Mm. things that happened in the movie
2: yeah
1: uh, Black Adam is resurrected he's sort of pulled out of his stone in the present day uh, by a character named um Mm. Oh, golly, what was her name? No, uh, she's, the, uh, she's an archaeologist and the yeah. mother of the comic book nerd kid. I forget the character's name. Yeah, um, She is... Oh, uh, I'm looking her up right now. You can do it. <laughs> I believe in you. I'm not cutting any of this. Oh, yeah. Just wait. Just wait. And just this wait. The, you can, yeah, you most, can do it. This is the most interesting This thing. is a great um, opportunity Adriana to trick the watch. Adriana is the character's name. She's played yeah. by an actress named uh, Sarah Shahi. Yeah. And, yeah, she's an archaeologist who knows about uh, Black Adam called Teth Adam. Yes, yeah, so that's, that's his
0: actual name. Yeah,
1: uh, the character was invented in the '40s, uh, and just you were I don't know much about the. the he was the he
2: character. was he was evil Shazam uh, for a long yeah, time. He,
0: he was basically, and and then he became. This is the best of my knowledge. I haven't been following Shazam as closely as I have other heroes in my life, uh, but he he was kind of evil Shazam, and then he was like morally complicated Shazam and then it became kind of anti-hero Shazam right, and right. I'm not sure where the character is at for a while right. um, uh, an interesting character when written well I've seen really really good Black
1: Adam stories okay yeah. I, I wasn't familiar with this character yeah. but uh, uh he's resurrected out of the stone he's played by Dwayne Johnson and uh there's a bunch of the intergang guys around with guns and he just kills them all yeah. and uh that, that's supposed to be Like a new wrinkle In this universe That he kills Bad guys Yeah uh, I, and, every, and everyone's
0: on him for it Like we meet The yeah. Justice Society uh, Those characters In the comics Don't get a lot of Backstory on them If you don't know Who they are It just seems like Another sort of Superhero group Kind of tossed in there But their whole
1: thing is Heroes don't kill Black Adam uh, uh, kills. That's bad. Excuse me, Dr. Fate. I've seen Man of Steel. <laughs> I've seen it's Man like... of Steel. I have seen Batman v Superman. I've when... seen I've seen Justice League when Wonder Woman killed a lot of people yeah, recently. Like, in Batman vs. Superman, there's a scene where Alfred Mm-hmm. played by Jeremy Irons, takes control of, like, a flying bat plane uh-huh. and just blasts guns into a room full of bad guys. Like, uh-huh. Alfred like, kills people in Batman is,
0: like, shooting out, like, people's, like, flamethrower packs to make them explode. Batman is, like, mutilating criminals so that, uh, with uh-huh. the intention of getting them murdered in prison. Superman is killed when it suited his needs, when when people felt like he had no other uh, uh, recourse. Wonder Woman killed a whole bunch of bad guys in front of a whole bunch of civilians at the beginning of all the versions of Justice League. (laughs) Aquaman killed Black Manta's father, that's why he became Black Manta.
1: I love, uh, there's a scene in Justice League where... uh... A, a, a child is watching Wonder Woman like go about her business. There, yeah. There's a, a really cool shot where she like blocks a bunch of bullets. And oh yeah, that hostages. shot's awesome. Yeah, uh, and and a little girl uh, is looking at Wonder Woman's like, "Wow, I'm really impressed. Yeah. I, I want to be like, like one, you, I want to be yeah. like Wonder Woman." And Wonder Woman's like, "Yeah, you can be anything you want to be." Carbon. <laughs> she just uh, <laughs> the the young girl uh, presumably was also killed in that explosion.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. so like so the whole idea Uh, that heroes don't kill as a plot point makes sense in a vacuum. It might make sense in certain versions of the comics. In the DCEU it means nothing.
1: No, because these people have
0: always completely disingenuous.
2: Yeah, and Uh, so and so uh,
1: Amanda Waller, uh, played uh, by by Viola Davis. Viola Davis. She she is I guess just the, the mm. go-to assembler of superhero teams. Now. So if you'll
0: recall, at the beginning of the original Suicide Squad, Amanda Waller uh, made the argument <laughs> multiple times to anyone who would listen in the film's first act, which is about 50 minutes long. And she's talking about how, listen, if Superman goes rogue, we don't have any superheroes on our side. The best we can do is force supervillains to work mm. with us. And it's like, well, okay, which, that makes it, sense it, it, in inter-
1: this... Interesting concept, not not a good movie at all. Not really.
0: a good movie. Interesting concept, very dirty does, and I get it, it makes sense and, in that context. Um, and now here we find out that she's been working with the Justice League... Oh, sorry, the Justice Society for so long that there are legacy heroes. Yeah. Like, Atom Smasher, his uncle was the previous Atom Smasher. So you're saying we had the Justice Society...
1: The whole time, well, and we never needed the Suicide Squad. Here, Here's what you need to do, William. Uh-huh. Don't worry about how this connects to the other movies. Uh, I wish I, I, I could. I they, they keep now, bringing in connections and reminding me of like, them. Like, plot connections aren't so important. The, I, the concepts, I think, are. The idea that yeah. heroes aren't supposed to kill in yes. a universe where they always do. Mm-hmm. I think that's sort of an interesting point to bring mm-hmm. up. That we never had a backstory with... Uh, the Justice Society. I'm actually kind of okay with that. I, I uh, wish it made more sense, that's all. We are, like, have been fed the steady diet of superhero movies for 15 years. Yeah. Do Yeah. We We don't really need origin stories anymore. We understand no. now. Yeah. Uh, mainstream audiences all get it. We don't need sure. to see how a superhero comes to be. We can just have them show up I don't mind them. and do their thing. I don't need yeah. a big origin story for Adam Smasher. His origin isn't that interesting to begin with. That's
0: not what I'm talking about. Mm. What I'm talking about is if you're going to introduce these characters within the framework that was so important, it was literally the pole plot of two different movies. Uh-huh. And now the next movie that comes out is basically just saying we never had to do any of those two movies. I'm a little distracted. That's all I'm saying. Uh, I find it a little
1: distracting. Okay. Uh, it's, but in any it's case, also not very sign- the
0: Justice mm. Society to go to the Middle East in order to try to fix global stability because, oh no, a country in the Middle East has its own superhero and it's killing all of its colonizers. And so the Justice Society is here to stop that. And boy, do I wish that was
1: more of a conversation no. than, oh no, like, Black Adam kills. The, uh, That's a way more interesting Thing that's going on here. The, the justice. So the justice side is these four characters. There's Adam Smasher. You mm-hmm. said there's a character named Doctor Fate. He's played by Pierce Brosnan. He's Pierce Brosnan. He is a helmet from another planet. Yeah. He's there's, basically Doctor Strange. Yeah, there's a, a cyclone. She flies around on rainbow colored wind. And, mm-hmm. uh, and Adam Smasher grows uh, really, really big. Adam Smasher grows really big. And then there's Hawkman. And he's a who, Hawkman. Look, they they really tried <laughs> to make Hawkman like look kind of cool. They like gave yeah. him like a. a I, I like I said I don't want origin stories but Hawkman is just baffling. <laughs> like, he's got this high tech, the wings and like. If you want it fr- frequently throughout this movie says like infrared mode on, so it's like it's so also it's tech, like this high tech thing. thing. Here's
0: the thing with I'm gonna I'm not gonna even try to attempt to give you the gist of Hawkman. <laughs> what I will say is this. What I will say is this. If you want your eyes to pop out of your skull and dangle in front of your face like click clacks. Mm. Try reading his origin on Wikipedia because Hawkman (laughs) has had so many different origins. He's like, I am the resurrected version of a hawk guy. Okay, fine. I can work with that. That's fine. Also, there's an entire alien planet called Thanagar where they're all hawk people, but you're also a resurrected hawk guy. Yes. And it's from Egyptian mythology, not space. Oh, so is that like a retcon? No, we tried to merge the two. I don't know what the fuck is going on with the character. I never know what the fuck is going on with Hawkman. Mm-hmm. Depending
1: on who's playing, Aldous Hodge is a good actor. I think he I brings as much yeah, as he can to it. In this version, he's a, a human character who has yeah. like high tech hawk gear. And
0: I and I actually appreciate. Here is what I think Aldous Hodge and to to the an extent the script, but I think Aldous Hodge is. I think Aldous Hodge gets it. Mm. I think he understands that what Hawkman is is the American manifest destiny Monroe Doctrine. I'm going to come in here and I'm, and I'm right. Yeah. I am just. Right. I believe in the American way and everything is great and he shows up and he's like, it's okay everyone. We're going to save you from Black Adam and everyone's just like, we don't want he's you saving to... us from you yeah. <laughs> and he just doesn't yeah. get it and I, I think that's where they're coming from with the character. Very forceful, good in a fight, not really a big picture kind of guy. No, not really thinking it through. And I think there was there's more that a, could have been done with that. And I think Aldous Hodge plays it to the best of his abilities.
1: Uh, there, there's a lot of a lot of fighting. Uh, mm. The the crown comes back. A bad guy tries to get it. Um, yeah. It's the crown of Sabak, And by the end, we mm. we have people fighting a demon. Yeah, uh, with like a pentagram on his chest and horn, like a proper devil looking. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, all of this is hooey. Uh, yeah. Like. There some of the action
0: sequences are filmed pretty cool, but that's not, okay. not important anymore. No, no, no. William, no, they're not. <laughs> so, I said some of them are, right. some of them. This there's is, a non-stop action sequences. No. I said some. Like it's, two or three are filmed pretty the, cool.
1: The movie doesn't have moments of like quiet or introspection. Mm-hmm. It's just... Really quickly edited. Everything is given the same sort of weight. Uh, there's a few jokes between the Atom Smasher character and Hawkman that just sort of fall flat. Mm-hmm. That kid character bugged the hell out of me. That kid character because is... He is the, a, he's is a cliche now. This idea mm-hmm. that modern sensibilities about superheroes are being fed to the heroes by fans. Yeah, And that is... The state might have getting been its own tale. Really. Well, it might have been novel like twenty years ago, but we've had that so many times now. I, I would that argue it's it's we, just an obnoxious cliche what, that they're laying it, on. It, well, you know, a
0: movie that uh, uh, oh, what was that Sylvester Stallone movie that came out earlier this year? The superhero movie, Samaritan. Samaritan. Yeah. Samaritan. Not an amazing movie. Handled that better. Better, better than this. That the, the relationship between the kid and Black Adam is not entirely dissimilar to the relationship between the kid mm. and Sylvester Stallone's character in this lower budgeted superhero movie, Samaritan. Except in that one, they have an actual, like, back-and-forth friendship,
1: personality conflict. Well, they've set up who, like, who these people are, what the setting is, what the stakes are, what Mm -hmm. they're after. All of those things are explained in Samaritan. I was very positive on Samaritan just because it does the basic shit right. Yeah, it's like a (laughs) three-star movie, but that's
0: not bad, right? In Black Adam, this kid is, A... The whole skateboard kid thing. I'm not saying the kids don't still skateboard, but this cliche was tired by the late 90s. Yeah, By the late 90s, I was feeling pandered to by that. So that's not a great place to start. And Uh, and, and on top of it all, just this whole... I, I feel like we talked about this recently, but there is a genuine problem in... Uh, a lot of genre cinema in particular, Mm. where there we were talking about this when we talked about Morbius, when we did our commentary track for Morbius on our Patreon, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network.
1: And yes, we did a commentary track for Morbius. We did. And
0: one of the things we talked about in Morbius, and this is true in a lot of superhero movies, a lot of horror movies, anything with kind of a fantasy or sci-fi element, at some point, shit needs to get explained to the audience. Mm. You need exposition. Exposition explains what's going on that the audience cannot naturally intuit. So, for example, if you're doing a vampire movie, at some point you're going to need to explain the specific rules of your vampires because mm-hmm. not every vampire story treats vampires the same way. So there are a, differences, sometimes subtle, sometimes yeah, huge. So there's a garlic vampires, there's yeah. a cross vampires, there's a sunlight vampire. Exactly. Let us know. We, we, the audience needs to know that so at least you can play fair. Uh, and this is true in superhero movies as well. You need to clarify what can they do Because it's really annoying when you're watching a superhero movie and all of a sudden they start doing something you didn't know they could do. Take a look at, for example, some of the weirder scenes in Superman 2. Where all of a yeah. sudden Superman takes the S off of his chest and throws it at a guy it and it like expands this, this into like, like a big
1: net. You know, it's like cellophane net that wraps yeah. itself around. And like uh, we never was... knew he could do that. That's a weird thing. There's the bit in uh, Superman 4 where mm-hmm. uh, like this blue beams shoot out of his eyes and he like magically rebuilds the Great Wall of China. Yeah, like, like yeah, He's not you... moving quickly to do it. Like yeah. this, this new the, Superman power. By
0: the end of one film, but certainly by the end of 4, you're just not playing fair. Yeah, You need to just, there need to be some parameters on what we're seeing. So having a kid who knows about superheroes and we know the audience knows about superheroes to just rattle off some quick exposition is clunky, but the idea is it's supposed to get it out of the way fast Yeah, because we need it and then we need to move the hell on. They don't even get it out of the way fast. They're constantly talking about it. And I'm like the audience doesn't need to constantly be reminded that the kid is a fanboy. It's like when the junior Ghostbusters showed up on the real Ghostbusters. We're in the audience. We don't need a surrogate in the movie. The movie is the movie. Yeah. We 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 don't need that much. So it's just frustrating. Uh, and then yeah, it turns into there's a whole bunch of MacGuffin stuff. There's a there's a twist that you may or may not see coming. Uh, but basically, there's going to be a whole bunch of fighting and, yeah. Here's the, pro- here's the here's the thing that, that, ultimately, for me, torpedoes the entire movie. Hmm. More than, like, The Rock is fine, but he's not giving an, a particularly anti-hero performance. He's just yeah. smiling less than he normally does. It's not really very interesting. Um, I kind of like, even though they're not very interesting characters... Uh, I've I've always rather liked the Justice Society as a group and so Mm -hmm. seeing them just be kind of friendly with each other and everything like that just kind of nice, just okay, we don't need a lot of heavy drama between everyone that was kind of cute and I was fine with their scenes together but the scene that the thing that really hurt the movie for me was ignoring the fact that we're basically letting a lot of the more serious conversation about western intervention in the Middle East go really well, what, we're,
1: we're braising it but we're bracing, we're letting it go western presence in the middle east mm-hmm. uh the ethics of superherodom well this is what i'm uh, getting at. yeah the yeah. Th- this is something i wish movies would address yeah. more frequently is the mm-hmm. idea of uh you know we as audience members can trust superheroes because we understand they live in superhero worlds mm-hmm. where they always do the right thing and it's mm-hmm. going to be really rare that they do something outwardly villainous. Occasionally they'll say, they'll give lip service to, oh, that's not not entirely the right thing to do, but it's never like an actual ethical problem. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the ethical problem mm-hmm. that rises up is uh, superheroes are proliferating so quickly, for instance, mm-hmm. that uh, wouldn't it be a good idea if like, they answered to somebody, or they had yeah. some sort of oversight, or they were registered. Yeah, that's the right thing to do in that scenario. Well, that's
0: that was that and was then, Captain America: Civil War, but they, the movie's half, cited against it. Half
1: of the movie, half uh-huh. of the heroes in the movie say, "No, no, we need to be free agents."
0: Yeah, that's and,
1: unethical. And indeed, <laughs> and
0: indeed, the movies, the MCU, seems to have mm. ultimately decided that that's not a thing anymore. Yeah, and well, which well is n- weird.
1: Now they're just free agents. Yeah, like some of them work for Shield sometimes. Yeah, uh, like the actual oversight, the actual ethics what they do what they represent and how their actions affect the world are ultimately going to be good because they're Mm. good guys exactly uh and this movie brings up the
0: complexities of that and then there's and then by halfway through the movie it's like no this is just about whether or not black adam kills people I'm like Mm. no that's the least interesting thing Mm. and here's why black adam never kills anyone who isn't cartoonishly evil you know, yeah, he yeah, doesn't kill. He doesn't start killing citizens. He doesn't kill just random people. I'm not, I'm not saying he should, but like, if the, the
1: been, movie uh, yeah, the movie would, would an have an interesting more, movie if he did. The movie it?
0: would have more of an interesting point if Black Adam actually did things that were seriously morally questionable. Now, listen, I don't approve of killing people, but in a movie universe, mm. when you introduce a character who is completely one-dimensional, only evil, uh, and doesn't even, like, really, other than, I'd rather not die today, like, has no other qualities to them, hmm. then if Black Adam kills them, we're not mad at him. <laughs> they, we have not shown him killing emotionally rich, complete characters so that we actually care. In fact, even when he kills people and the Justice like oh, did he kill somebody again? They're not really mad that he murdered a human being. They're mad because, oh, we were going to torture him for information.
2: <laughs> and I'm like, okay,
0: 24, yeah, yeah. we're not going to, we're just going to, wow, we're not going to interrogate that at all, are we? Nope. So, like, the whole idea that Black Adam is bad because he kills is not really important to the movie because the movie forgives him for every single murder he's ever yeah, done. The, uh, so it's not actually about that. Th- this
1: It feels like a first draft. It feels yeah. like it's not finished. 15 it feels years like, this yeah, movie was being worked on. I, I, it, I, I guess they worked on it too much because yeah. uh, they. I mean, granted, there are in, other versions, and they changed. They it threw, in some the inters- threw in some interesting ideas that they weren't interested in exploring. There yeah. aren't scenes devoted to it. They're so uh, so much in a hurry to get all of this exposition out that they're not making. Scenes to communicate those uh, anything in, in, in mm-hmm. any kind of interesting way. Uh, the action is—it's not that it's unclear; it's just that it's quick and sloppy. Yeah, uh, and, and and when and, they it's not, not, not terribly exciting. When they that. try to
0: make it interesting, they really whiff it. There's a bit where um, Black Adam is like in the the archaeologist in her son's apartment, and the uncle is watching uh, uh, the Good Man, the Ugly on TV. Mm. Okay, and then. Three scenes later, Black Adam is surrounded by a bunch of inner gang guys, and they play the good, the bad, and the ugly music, and then he, like, shoots them with lightning. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what does that signify? You know, when Logan watched Shane in in the movie Logan, which was really fucking heavy-handed, at least it connected to what we were watching in some way. It was thematically
1: linked. This uh... is just why well and and what logan, are we getting at logan it? was looking at shane and seeing a parallel in himself yeah it's like this this is actually kind of my story and that was sort of a sad moment because he realizes what happens to shane at the end of that movie yeah uh and uh okay you can argue that he died or not but uh yeah, there's I there's, there's a lot it's, of it's, fun it's, they, leave an they leave it about, ambiguous they leave it ambiguous know. on purpose ergo mm. He bo- he, he's Schrodinger Shane He died and he didn't die There, there you go <laughs> Yeah um, I, I like the He died ending But no, no, no. I'm, I'm just a, a bleak jerk uh, Like So when he was watching that It was significant Uh Black Adam doesn't even watch the good, the bad and the ugly. No. It's just on the screen. It's the first thing he's ever seen and, on television
0: for God's sake. He doesn't and I know think, what he's seen. I
1: think what we're what we're hearing is that the director's name is uh, Jean Coyet Serra and uh, he's a, a he's French and Yeah, um,
0: he's done a, he's had a weird career. He did that um Paris Hilton remake of House of Wax.
1: Yeah, he well, did
0: uh, um didn't he do The Orphan? The original did, The Orphan?
1: He did uh yeah, the first orphan. He did the first movie.
0: orphan, uh he did the Jungle Cruise movie with Dwayne Johnson. Yeah, just it's, an all-over-the-place... Like commercial director. Yeah. Uh, if you have a genre of, film, he'll do it, and it'll be fine, I guess. Yeah, well, I, he never really brings anything interesting I, to like I like, it. Or, I like Orphan a lot.
1: I yeah. don't like Jungle Cruise, so yeah, it yeah. kind of runs hot. And I don't like Black Adam. Yeah. Uh, I, I think what, what he might have been trying to get at with yeah. The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly yeah. was... Uh, what Who's the main character from The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly? It's Blondie, oh, Blondie the, yeah. the, the Clint Eastwood character. yeah, And... I guess, like, because of the construction of the title, you might presume that he's the good one. I like to think mm-hmm. that Eli Wallach is the good one, uh, but, uh, <laughs> but they—they my, they my interpretation. Well, at, at when they in the movie begins, we um, have
0: little vignettes with each, and they have title screens yeah. showing you that Blondie is the good one. Uh, it's a, Lee Van Cleef is the bad. Is, he, is and, he Bright Eyes? Is that what he's called in that one? He's called Something Eyes, Angel Eyes, Angel Eyes, Angel Eyes it, is yeah. the bad, and then. Uh, uh, Lee Van Cleef, I forget Eli Eli Wallach.
1: Eli Wallach I forget who Eli Wallach's playing and he's the, he's the ugly he's man. the ugly yeah no he's the he's, he's uh, kind of the, the, he's like yeah, the he's the soul the, of the piece he's the moral yeah. character he's the most interesting character yeah. but uh, people like Clint Eastwood because he's a little bit steely he's a little inscrutable. Mm-hmm. and the idea is he'll do the right thing occasionally but he'll often look out for himself mm-hmm. uh, you know he gets into shootouts to protect himself but sometimes he'll protect others yeah not all bad he's, I, a, he's an anti-hero I think an actual anti-hero yeah that's the parallel he's trying to draw. And that's kind of sad at how badly mm-hmm. he failed yeah. trying to connect a character like Black Adam, who is not inscrutable, mm-hmm. who does not change his morals from scene to scene. He's mm-hmm. no Clint Eastwood. No, he's, he's, Clint, ba- he's yeah. barely
2: an
0: anti-hero. He's just a hero who kills. And it's yeah. like, again, this universe and certainly this movie
1: doesn't actually have a problem with yeah. that. And, and here's the curious thing about Dwayne Johnson as an mm-hmm. actor. Uh, he, he's okay. I like he's an fun. okay actor. He's a good. He's, he's a good movie star. Exactly what he is an actor. Yeah, uh, I've, in he, that he has a lot of presence. Mm-hmm. His movies tend not to be very good. He's mm-hmm. like he, he's good in those Fast and Furious movies, but he's part of like a huge ensemble.
0: No, yeah, he's
1: only he's only been
0: he's been in a few really great movies in like minor roles. He was in Fighting with My Family, which is a really wonderful movie. And he but he plays he's himself not, in that. He one. plays himself, and he's only in like four scenes. He's pivotal, but mm-hmm. he's it's not his film. Yeah. His, with, a, the only movie just, I would say he stars in that is legitimately great is Moana, oh, and yeah, even then oh, yeah. he's the second lead, mm. You know, he's like, but he's the fun guy, like that's the whole point, yeah. his entire, like a lot of movie stars, I think Tom Cruise has this as well, um, with the occasional vanity project—that's actually a little derogatory. Let me not say that. Let's. With the occasional side project, the art house film you make to just try to, you know, try something new. Yeah. Like Tom Cruise did Magnolia. That's the, out of his wheelhouse normally. The plays a really despicable person. Mm-hmm. It's mostly in pursuit of being liked.
1: Well, that, that's, These what are that's what I was likable character. That's what I was going to say. Uh, he yeah. he comes from the world of professional wrestling, and I mm-hmm. know he's. Professional wrestling is a little bit crazy. There's like yeah. good guys, but there's, you know, heels and faces. Yeah. And uh, I think he was both. Um, a lot of people but, have about it. Yeah. But you, you see, if you watch old video of him in the wrestling ring, mm-hmm. he's very expressive. Mm-hmm. He takes up the ring. Yep. He's gigantic. He's like really... Yeah, he's bob- larger he's, than life. That's yeah, why he's, he's, he's makes sense for him to be a yeah, superhero. He's kind of this cartoon character. He fits in the world of wrestling. And you look at that guy, you're like, yeah, like Schwarzenegger. I want to put a, point a camera at that guy. Exactly. The problem is you need to let him play The Rock. In every movie, the same way you yeah. let Arnold play Arnold in every movie. Yeah, when you try to get him to play Clint Eastwood, yeah, <laughs> you're gonna fail. Like
0: even when ter- even when Arnie played the bad guy, he played the Terminator. He's not being asked to do a lot with it. No. He's actually being asked to drain all of his presence out and just be steely
2: mm.
0: and, that's and threatening. Th- and yeah. theoretically, if if imagine if this whole movie. Dwayne Johnson said, like, three lines of dialogue. Mm. It was just, Dwayne Johnson, he is gigantic, he has all the power of Superman, and he's constantly mad at you. And I'm like, I don't want to be around him. But every time he talks, he's not shazam, he's not affable, but he's also not wicked. Mm. He isn't a fascist. Like, he's actually... You I know, mean, he kills, and I don't approve of that, but, like, at the
1: same time, who is he killing? Mm. Like, he's killing a whole bunch of bad guys, I, so you do only be so mad at that. Part, part of me really wished that uh, he woke up in, like, the apartment and that the mm. superhero kid is there. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, I'm 90s kid, I'm gonna explain superhero... And he just blasts the kid, like, against the wall. as turns, like...
0: Turns I into a skeleton, you.
1: like, in Mars Attacks. Yeah, huh. yeah, like... Yeah dark comedic unexpected yeah that would have been and and would really have kind of so fucking dark shown that he doesn't care he's just gonna kill a
0: child for no reason like that's because because the the way the movie ends and i'm not going to give away the ending i'm not going to talk about the scene at the ending other than to say lackluster (laughs) like the actual mean a lot no like the actual like thing that they're teasing yeah okay cool but the actual scene itself feels just as tacked on as the ending of Morbius. It feels just as false and arbitrary. Doesn't actually make any sense. It's just sort of there to say, maybe there'll be another one. But the actual like ending of this thing is like, yeah, like Black Adam is here in the world, and it's kind of a big deal, and yeah, maybe he's a pretty good guy, except at the end we'll argue that he's still bad, maybe? And I'm like, so nothing happened. <laughs> like the, the, the final bit of the movie is basically just saying, "Yeah, he went on an arc. No, we're still going to treat him like he's a bad guy. No, I'm like nothing, th- nothing, nothing happened. Nothing what really are you happened.
1: doing? This this was a waste of time.
0: Is how it feels.
1: Yeah. some of uh, it was enjoyable, but mostly it's a waste of time. I I wonder because this is the, now the second uh, mm. DC Comics character that Dwayne Johnson has played. He also played Crypto the Superdog. Oh, that's right. Which I finally saw you the saw DC Le- League, League of Superfriends. Yeah, yeah, you know what? It's cute. I, I saw I saw I, about ten minutes of it, yeah. So it's I, I, it looks pretty adorable. It's
0: it's nearly two hours and it shouldn't be. It's oh, like a ninety uh, minute movie that got stretched out. That's uh, too much padding. But when it's funny, it's I really hearty guffaws. Okay. Like really genuinely funny. And I actually appreciate what I like about that movie, I'm not gonna call it Great Cinema, but it is uh it's a superhero movie that seems to embrace the weirdness of silver age comics mm. when things could be very you can have a superman dog you can have a superman. The, the villain in that movie is one of lex luthor's guinea pigs literally <laughs> and like, that's
2: and like, so
0: like she was paying it she was like he experimented on her she got super intelligent and then she found a way to get superpowers and mm. she's going to take over the world because she's in love with lex luthor that's something you could have done in the 50s <laughs> and it would no one would have batted an eye it wouldn't have even been weird mm. But, like, it's that kind of, like, Silver Age stuff, and it's just kind of bright and fun, and, yeah, it's way too long, like, mm. doesn't need, to, it, outw- it stays. its welcome, but when it's funny, it's really funny. So, yeah, he was, he was fine in that.
2: Yeah, it's an animated sure. movie,
0: it's a different
1: job, uh, but he was fine in that. For, for however much people are excited about future mm. crossovers, it's all about the next thing. Sure, always. Uh, if they brought Crypto the Superdog and Black Adam <laughs> <laughs> together... That I might be interested in. I would love to see Crypto in a live-action movie. Yeah. That'd yeah, be cute. You know, probably a CGI dog, but yeah. whatever. No,
0: it's a CGI dog, and, and the joke in DC League of Super Pets is that only other pets can understand each other. Right. So even though he's right. voiced by Dwayne Johnson, when Superman hears him, he's like, ruff, ruff. Yeah. So you'll hear him talking like, ah, oh, Lex Luthor is in for a real pounding today, huh, Superman? And Superman hears, ruff, 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 ruff. That's right, Crypto. Yeah. Get Dwayne Johnson to voice the barks. You never hear his voice. Oh, that'd be... Just (laughs) just let him do the barks. That would be very cute. Yeah. I would love that. Anyway, Black Adam. um, Raises big ideas. Honestly, it would have been a really cool movie if they'd done anything with that. If they'd really worked with that. And all the pieces are there for that. And instead, they just take the path of the least resistance and make it about a bunch of fights. Some of which are more interesting than others. And... Then it's kind of over. It really does just feel way too perfunctory for considering how ambitious
1: the ideas it has are. And, 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 and how stinks. long it was in production. And, yeah, uh, well, that is what it is. Uh, I, I was kind of hopeful for this particular series of films because it, they seem to be a little bit more uh, like filmmaker-driven. Than the ones over at Marvel. Yeah, filmmakers uh, are
0: allowed to put their stamp on their yeah, movies so, a bit more. So at DC, like, yeah, so like I'm
1: not super fond of uh, either of the Suicide Squad movies. That first one is yeah. a big mess, but yeah. the Suicide Squad yeah. uh, feels like something James Gunn would make. And I'm not. Yeah, yeah. Like you would never say that the same filmmaker did both movies. Right. We're right. clearly
0: it's not uh, like it's not like Marvel where like if Peyton Reed, with the exception of maybe Ryan Coogler, like if Peyton Reed and I don't know, whoever... And Taika Waititi switched. Mm. Like, they wouldn't be the most Terribly different out. movies different in the world. Right? Like, it would just be like, oh, touches would be different. Maybe yeah. this would be a little more surreal. Yeah,
1: they, but, like, yeah, he, a, yeah. I feel like Ryan Coogler, um, I guess because I know Shane Black really well, he works mm. well with uh, uh blockbusters. Mm. Like, he can yeah. do big films like but that. But he only did the one. He only did the one, but yeah. it, it feels like... He wrote that yeah. one. I feel like Joe Johnston
0: uh, brought his own stuff to Cats America, uh, the first Avenger, because mm-hmm. that really does feel like it's in the Rocketeer
1: yeah, universe. Yeah, he was kind of like yeah. repeating a lot of the stuff he did for Rocketeer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, mostly mm-hmm. the people aren't really bringing a lot of distinctive yeah. so filmmaking I'll, I'll, to it. I was a little bit hopeful because... Yeah. You know, James Wan is making this big, weird Aquaman movie with a Cthulhu in it. It's like that's really strange, yeah. guy. Uh, yeah, and then we have James Gunn doing also his own version of Strain yeah. with Polka Dot Man and Shark Guy. Patty Jenkins uh, had her own vibe as well, mm. like, even though it changed dramatically between Wonder Woman. I was going to say it's still that, like her, that, her stuff that she, she did. She did pretty good for one Wonder Woman movie, and uh, eh, okay, the, the, no. that second one was not very good, pretty bad. No, uh, I didn't think it worked. Uh, then it, and, and say what you will. Zack Snyder has a style. He, he isn't. He's, no one's going to pretend yeah, those are someone
0: else's movies. He's an
1: auteur. He's got a thing. Uh, yeah. Again, not, I, I kind of was in admiration of how uneven a lot of this stuff was, the, yeah. how, how not cohesive it was. And it's so pathetic when they're trying to, co- to make these things cohere uh, rather than let filmmakers tell the stories they want yeah. and worrying about the connection. Not at all. Yeah, it's a big old mess.
0: Anyway, we should move on. Uh, why don't you tell me about uh, uh, um, another film about people? <laughs> I don't have a good segue. Fil- tell me about films are about people. Huh? Tell me about Ticket to Paradise. Oh, okay, all right. Which I um, can only assume leads to a sequel tease
1: for a film called Two Tickets to Paradise. That's the yeah, that would be the sequel. Um, that- this is uh, Two Tickets. To paradise. I, I, yes, I know the song. Uh, pack your bags, we'll leave tonight. tonight. Yeah, uh, this is about. Uh, okay. Julia Roberts and George Clooney. Uh, you could, could. May I? <laughs> I'm stuck <now>. here. <laughs> I need to hear the whole song. <laughs> I'm sailing away.
0: So how does it all go with
1: the urgency? You got the reference. Yeah. Okay. Um, Julia Roberts and George Clooney. Yeah. A uh, little uh, reunion for uh, Ocean's 11. And uh, Ocean's 12. And, and and 12 and 13. I guess no, she wasn't, no, she wasn't in 13. She wasn't in 13. He no. was. Is that only, but, those are the only things they've done together? It feels like they did something
0: else. Oh, she was in uh, *Confessions of a Dangerous Mind*, which he directed.
1: There you go. So they had worked yeah, together. So, so they've worked, yeah. together, they've worked together, a together multiple times. times. Uh, here they play a, a couple who was married for five years and went through a really bad divorce and now just hate each other. Yeah. But they had a child, uh, the, a daughter played by Caitlin Dever, mm. and she. Uh, we, we just saw her in uh, that Romeo and Juliet movie, Rosaline. Rosaline. She played yeah. Rosaline, and uh, yeah, Makes here, sense. here she's just finished up law school and is taking a vacation after having graduated, uh, uh, she and her best friend who's played by Billy Lord, they go to Bali Mm. because it's just a beautiful place to visit. And she falls in love with uh, a man who lives there and, Uh. uh, just looks out on these like beautiful, gorgeous beaches and just says, "I I want to be here the rest of my life." Right. And I want to marry this guy and have a great time. So it's up to mm-hmm. mom and dad to uh, go to Bali and attend the wedding. And wouldn't you know, they both hate that their 21 year old is getting married so impulsively, mm-hmm. and so they try to sabotage the wedding. So this is oh, also so a little my bit of a best re- daughter's re- wedding. I was gonna say this is also a reunion between Julia Roberts and the premise of My Best Friend's Wedding. Yeah. Uh, it's. Everything uh, you just thought of in your mind uh-huh. that happens in this movie happens in this movie. Oh, God. it is unbelievably predictable. Uh, okay. It is nice, comfortable, take your grandparents kind of a movie. Well, I just hope uh, nobody learns a valuable lesson at the end. And well, here's what I appreciate: people hmm. learn valuable lessons. Damn it. Uh, there's a little bit of a wrinkle <laughs> in that uh, the, the Julia Roberts character is dating like a young hotshot French pilot.
0: Okay,
1: uh, and. You feel sorry for the introduction of this character because he's a Baxter. It's like, oh, yeah, he's he, clearly he's, designed he's, he's, he's to be go, left for. He's going to be dumped by the end, so yeah. Julia Roberts can get with George Clooney because that's what we want to see. Of course, it is. Uh, yeah. So, in the course of trying to sabotage their daughter's because what, marriage bond... must be
0: preserved. I, I even I like a brief think, marriage must be must be more important than anything else. Uh, it's a little culturally insensitive. Oh, good. That's great. Uh, let's let's do more of that. But, he said sarcastically.
1: Yeah. Uh, What I do appreciate, and I like to think that Caitlin Deaver uh, kind of stood up for her character. Like she came to the screenwriters Mm. and said, my character has nothing to do. Can you give me scenes where I get to sort of explain why I'm doing this and bond with my husband and really let people know that I'm really happy here. So it actually is meaningful when my parents try to split it up and they actually get to see the joy that they would be destroying because that's the thing that makes the film work is that we actually get to spend a little bit of time with the Caitlin Deaver character. Because
0: I think anyone could sympathize with the idea that you're getting married at 21 to someone you just met? Mm. Okay, we need to have a conversation because there's a really good chance you're rushing into that and not thinking it out all the way because that's really young, especially by today's standards, to get married, especially considering how long you've known the person. Mm. So having a healthy amount of skepticism is actually, it's actually not bad because the audience will bring that with them. Yeah. And then we just have to let them push it so far that you become... The villains I'm reminded of um, Mamma Mia Because the whole plot of Mamma Mia Is that Amanda Seyfried is getting married Mm -hmm. And everyone's like super gung-ho about it I'm like, is anyone going to point out that she's A little young?
1: To be making I, a decision, considering how like just kind of flighty the character is portrayed, I, I think uh, we just need to acknowledge that a lot of people do get married in their twenties, and that's you know that's that's, that's their their story. I, I'm not saying uh, that this
0: plot should be about breaking them up. Uh, I am saying I wish more people would have healthy conversations about it. Okay, and indeed it sounds like at the very least in this movie, here's someone who is not going into this with stars in their eyes, but mm. actually is. Saying no, I have made a choice. Yeah, and, and I, yeah. I'm an adult. I've made an
1: adult choice, and maybe I'll regret it later. That happens, it's, but like I'm, it, I feel like I feel good about it. It's kind of I'd funny have that, that that you brought up Mamma Mia because the director of Ticket to Paradise is somebody named Al Parker. Ol- oh, Oliver who did Parker, the, the sequel? Who did the sequel? Which yeah. is the good Mamma Mia? I've seen neither,
0: so okay. I couldn't speak. I had never seen either of the Mamma Mias until earlier this year when I had to do a Shmodown exhibition match with every Meryl Streep movie against against Marisol McKee, who's one of the greatest movie trivia of Underkins on the planet as far as I'm concerned. So I was like, ah, crap. And I only had like a day to prepare. And Mm -hmm. those are the biggest Meryl Streep movies I've ever seen. Like the most popular ones. So I had to watch them. And I watched them back to back. They're
1: terribly popular, those movies. They're very Um, popular.
0: and And I get it. But the first one is basically an excuse for Jukebox musical numbers. It's barely a film. The second one's good. The second one's, like, legitimately works as a movie. Like, I really enjoy the second one a lot. So, take that for what
1: it's worth if you've never seen them. Uh, Like I said, there's a few bits of... uh sort of culture clash humor it's like yeah. we, we don't understand balinese marriage customs so we're gonna uh-huh. uh a lot of awkwardness and uh-huh. these white people not uh-huh. really knowing what to do yeah
0: uh, this isn't this is,
1: uh, a, this is uh, white they they bond uh. when they you know, it turns out they were big drinkers in college and so they mm. have a lot of drinks and fall into bed together wouldn't you know it and, i uh, would know that yes, yeah literally. i was about to say yeah. Yeah. Um, mm. it, it all goes perfectly predictably now um mm. uh, there is a place for this kind of cinematic comfort food. Yeah. Something that's, like, really kind of bland and familiar. Mm-hmm. Uh, luckily, you have George Clooney and Julia Roberts. You could power a machine with their charm. Yeah. Uh, they they just glimmer and shine with the usual... You know, why, it's why they're movie stars. Mm-hmm. And they luckily brought it. They're not sleepwalking through this. They're actually playing their characters. Julia Roberts is, like... Julia Roberts is mean, and she's great <laughs> when she plays mean characters. Yeah, uh, I feel like when she go when she skews dark, she's a lot more interesting than mm. when she's uh, like flighty. Yeah. That said, I've never seen Pretty Woman either. So, oh really? Uh, yeah, wow. And I only just recently saw Mystic Pizza for the first. Time oh, so and, that, and it was good. Uh, uh, well, I, I I really understand Julia Roberts. It's like yeah. she's. Oh, yeah. 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 She's got that movie. Early on, people were like,
0: oh, yeah, we're going to put her in everything. Yeah, we're we're going to start
1: start filming her more because she just just has that dazzling quality. Uh, And and George Clooney, too. He was on TV for a long time. You start putting him in movies uh, other than Batman and Robin. And he's really kind of getting a foothold. Uh, And, yeah, they finally reached this point in their careers where they're just like the biggest movie stars on the planet. They've both been in dozens of movies. Yeah. uh, has Julia Roberts directed? I know I George she, Clooney's directed a couple directed, features. I don't
0: think Julia Roberts has directed. I'll I to check pro- that I
1: know she's produced
0: a lot. Oh but, sure. Uh, yeah. I don't think she's directed. Maybe she's, hmm. I don't know actually. Hold on, I'm gonna look this up. Um, that
1: feels like something I'd like to see her do if she has. Yeah. I mean, it feels like I don't I see like why I would know that. I don't see why not. I think she should. But sure. Why not? Or, or she, maybe she's one of those movie stars who likes to have sort of mm-hmm. like the producer's influence without actually having to direct. She
0: has no directing credits on IMDb. Oh my goodness. Yeah, and she's actually hasn't produced as much as you might think she's only got uh 12 producing credits okay.
1: well, that, that's and decent. mostly
0: stuff that she's not in she hmm. was an executive producer on stepmom she executives okay. a couple of tv series called queen supreme homecoming and gaslit all right uh and then she produced some of the an american girl movies
1: okay yeah yeah uh
0: she produced something called jesus henry christ which i've never or heard of? I think it's some kind of indie film, uh, and yeah, but like, yeah, she's she's not the prolific producer that say George Clooney is. Oh well, now, uh, weird. St- still the movie star. You know, oh yeah, still, no, uh, no, uh, no, you didn't have to do any of that.
1: So, it, uh, and we watching, expect people to now, but you yeah. didn't
0: have to do any of that.
1: Uh, it, and that's kind of refreshing that you can yeah. just go to a movie. It's its like a movie star driven movie, and I feel like those yeah. are a little bit rare these days. We're just talking about yeah. Black Adam, it's all character driven. Yeah. Dwayne Johnson is in it, but you could recast it and it would have the same effect. Yeah. The whole point is uh, Black Adam. They're trying yeah. to sell you Black Adam. Black Adam, yeah, not yeah. Dwayne Johnson. Uh, Here, it's like literally you want to see George Clooney and Julia Roberts banter and be charming yeah. in a beautiful location. Great, you got it. Done. It's it's nothing more than that, but yeah. some, for many, that's going to be enough. Yeah, I think it's funny, and we'll get to this, but um,
0: that you saw a rom-com this week, uh-huh. and I saw a rom-com this week, and yes. the one you saw is more formulaic. <laughs> <laughs> are you going to be talking about the Christmas movie now? You know, I might as well. Let's just do the segue. Right. Uh, the, the Hallmark Christmas movies are back, people. They never go away. Batten down there? the hat. Well, they don't. They don't air them twi- uh, all year round because Hallmark has don't realized. They no, they don't. Right. They've realized that they they air them from like it used to be, and I remember this distinctly. Halloween night, the changeover would occur. Yeah, like at midnight on the dot, or you know, if you're on the West Coast, you get it a few hours earlier because it's probably in East Coast time. But in any case, Halloween is over. Boom, nothing but but uh, uh, Christmas movies. Before that, I think it was Christ- Thanksgiving. Boom, nothing but Christmas movies, and I mean nothing but like it's pretty much nonstop Christmas movie marathons on both the Hallmark channels from here on out. And good, good for them, bless them. They they make a mint. They keep huge, huge swaths of the entertainment industry uh, uh, in work. Hmm. They make they release dozens of these things a year. Seriously. A day, a, that's every a year. day, <laughs> but because yeah, like no, two, two dozen Hallmark yeah. Christmas movies. Like we, a day. we make fun of like the TV movie uh, a machine that produces all of these Lifetime thrillers and all these Hallmark rom coms, but that is the lifeblood of the industry a lot of the time, and we shouldn't mock it out of hand, even if the movies aren't good. They they serve a function. But in any case, yeah, they're back. Uh, we've got a new one this week. I we actually had a couple new ones this weekend. I didn't want to do my thing where I try to watch all of them. I do not have the time this year, but I wanted to jump in and out a little bit and see a few. And I want to see at least the first one. And the first one is called Noel Next Door, and it is about someone named Noel who lives next door. Now I know what you're thinking. What? And I'm here to tell oh, you. I
1: am. Yeah. Yeah. That. I mean, that's that's, that's like crazy ideas. I can break in the mold. Barely wrap my head around. All right, right. So here's here's
0: the premise of Noel Next Door. Uh, there's a single mother. Her name is Noelle. Okay. She's uh, had a, a she, crappy divorce.
1: Lacey Chabert, or Alicia Witt. No,
0: Lacey Chabert and Alicia Witt have kept tapped out. <laughs>
2: well, we don't well,
0: get right. we don't get nearly as many. I think I think Chabert occasionally does one now, but I haven't seen either of them in a while. Uh, she's played by an actress named Natalie Hall. Okay. Uh she she is is living with her son. She's got equal custody. And there's some animosity between her and her ex-husband because she's scheduled to have their son on Christmas. And he's like, yes, but I have a girlfriend, and we want him to have a normal Christmas. So we think you should Looks. do the right thing and give us your our son, even though it's not our day. And if you say no, we're going to take you to court. Which I'm not sure not how, how a... far you think that's going to go. You she's not being unreasonable. Just... No, you can't just... Well, you know, it's messy It yeah. proves he's an asshole, basically So, like, we're on her side, and indeed we are uh, Meanwhile, her son, who is, is you know, the parents are going through a divorce, it's a rough time uh, He's decided to take out all his frustrations on their next-door neighbor, uh, played by Corey Sevier Okay And he is a very handsome, uh, middle-aged man, he's a composer uh, And he is a bit grumpy because a couple of years ago he had a stroke at Christmas. He is now paralyzed on one side. Hmm. His wife left him during that because she couldn't handle it. Okay. And he's having a rough time, as indeed one can understand he would. So, for example, he's talking to their super, who, like, runs this apartment complex and, like, a couple of the nearby ones. And he's talking about, hey, hey, listen, I walk with a cane. I, I, like, I, you know, I'm paralyzed on one side. And it's winter. And you didn't put any salt on the sidewalk. I could have slipped and really hurt myself. Okay. And the guy's like, oh, I, I should have totally done that. But when someone asks, what What was that guy talking to you about? It's like, oh, he was really, really mad at me. That's it. They don't give you any of the context. Okay. And when this kid is like kicking a soccer ball against this guy's wall as he's trying to compose and get work done. And he tells him, hey, would you mind not doing that? And the kid keep, won't stop doing it. And when he yells at the kid, the kid is like, that guy's really mean. He yelled at me just for playing soccer. I wasn't doing anything wrong. So all of the people in this community are starting to think that this guy is an asshole. Uh-huh. Even though he, he might have a bit of a temper, he's done nothing wrong. Okay. Meanwhile he had the 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 mom Noelle uh works at a local diner this guy has started frequenting the diner and without knowing that he's the neighbor that she hates and without knowing that she's the mom that he tacitly hates because her son is a holy terror uh they hit it off and it's actually really cute and they have genuine chemistry and she sees him like going on a blind date and there's a bit where She's like, oh, could you leave your coat on? Because I'm afraid people will see your arm and it'll make a scene. And to his credit, he immediately goes, and this date is over. Okay. I'm not going to go through the scene in the romantic comedy where I try to put up with this. This was never going to work. <laughs> Thank you for your time. We're, we're done here. And I was like, wow, good on you. Like seriously, well done. That's good behavior to put in a in a movie. And then Noelle sees that, and they hit it off, and they start dating, and everything's really, really great. And here's the deal: you're waiting to find out when they realize that they're the next door neighbor that they hate. You are watching this entire movie, yes, waiting to get to the inciting incident. Oh my God. When the plot really kicks in So it's this really sweet movie And it's this really scrooge movie And then you're just waiting for them to intersect Towards the end And everyone learns a viable lesson Ordinarily That would happen in the first act They would not like each other They would have a brief moment Where it looks like they would like each other And then they find out that they're each other's annoying neighbors And then that leads to conflict Throughout the whole story here, it's like this kind of, like, this little engine of suspense. When am I going to find out I'm dating a serial killer? Not until the end. When am I going to find out I'm dating this guy I hate? Not until the end. And I'm going to say this right now. That, that's that's not, a, that's not a typical structure. I kind of admire that she did a little something different there. And I think that Natalie Hall and Corey Sevier bring as much as they possibly can to a, you know, a pretty light and fluffy movie. He's actually got real pathos. His character is going through actual stuff. Mm -hmm. Her character is going through some actual stuff. It's not quite as complicated or profound as he is, but she's going through stuff. So I actually got a little something out of this little bit of pablum, what would normally be pablum. I was like, okay, you know what? You went at it in an unconventional way. You had some interesting characters going through some interesting experiences. And you didn't riddle the entire film with the most conventional cliches you can. In fact, you tried to avoid that as much as you could in order to tell a slightly unconventional story to hit all the conventional beats that you needed to hit in order to make it satisfying as a rom-com. And you know what? You did that. (laughs) And I'm going to give you some credit for that. Is it great? No. But I wanted them to end up together at the end. I wanted the solution. I wanted the, the suspense resolved. I was waiting. For, when is it going to happen? We're going to do this, right? We're going to actually have this. Not yet. Okay. 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 I'm sorry. I'll wait. Are they going to be charming some more? They are going to be charming some more. Great. Okay. Let's do this. I was a little more invested than I thought I would be. It is a pretty decent Christmas rom-com. Take that for what it's worth. Okay. Okay. Not even going to engage yeah. in conversation. We're no, done no, here.
1: Well, I mean, what, what am I going to say about a movie I haven't seen? Well, just, well we
0: try, don't we? Uh, it I happens suppose, every week yeah. that we have to do it. We try to I, at least engage in conversation.
1: I uh, I appreciate that they're you know, experimenting with structure. I know yeah. uh, you and Alonso Durale over yes. on the Linoleum Knife podcast, excellent critic. Uh, in, in, impeccable taste, intelligent man. All of all of the compliments apply to him. Uh Although he does have a weakness for the Hallmark Christmas movies. Mm-hmm. Everybody has a flaw, I suppose. <laughs> and uh, sure. you and he are very interested at uh, sort of following these... I feel like you're following these Hallmark Christmas movies as to... It's like you want to see where the tail end of cinema is at the moment. It's like, not, not who's like pushing out new art, uh-huh. but who, who's like in the back catching up the last
0: I'm going to let you finish, and, but I have I have a, I have a take on
1: you're, that. You're I'm, I'm, I'm going to let you finish. No, um, no,
0: I'm going to let you finish, because I'm going to let you make your point, but I disagree mm. with
1: something you're saying, but okay. I feel like, um, Alonzo in particular, but both of you, are uh, keen on seeing how uh, representation works mm. uh, in, in uh, Hallmark, how, how diverse these movies can be, because they are mm. the, the straightest, whitest thing you could possibly see. That's until, often true. Until kind of recently. Yes. It's like, and if... If the Hallmark Channel is catching up, it means society something, something, might be. something <laughs> profound has finally <laughs> happened. It's like, you know, when uh, when it finally makes its way into a Disney movie, it's like, OK, it's finally like widely enough accepted to be commercially viable. Hmm. And uh, I, I I feel like it's almost like a sociological study with you people, with uh, where you're try, try, trying, trying to figure out where society is standing by where... The people who would catch up the last are finally catching up. Mm-hmm. Um, now, in terms of structure, I understand this is a big factory. Some of them are going to just by accident be a little bit more interesting than others. Oh, man. Just uh, you know, some, by accident some, were design, it doesn't really matter. Some screenwriters going to get bored enough to try something kind of interesting. And it'll uh. Uh, kind of stumble its way onto the airwaves. Like imagine
0: if imagine if they had done. Uh, I'm trying to think of an example here that might work. Um, imagine if they had done, say. I don't know a Spider-Man movie where there's a villain, mm-hmm. but from and Spider-Man's after the villain, but he doesn't realize that he's dating her until like the last couple of scenes.
1: Okay, different they, structure. They, they kind of did that in one of the Spider-Man movies, actually. Uh, which one? The, um, uh, Spider-Man: Homecoming, where we he well did, it, he didn't did know his relationship to the villain until like the beginning of Act not Three. Not the same thing, but here's yeah. the thing: but the audience knew.
0: Imagine if the audience knew that the whole time. Oh, okay. So then it becomes like sort of like a when will when will the other shoe drop kind of thing, and you right. just try to keep that ball in the air the entire time. It's a little be a little different. Hmm. Now, I, I will say this: you talk about how like we're just sort of like looking at the tail end of the snake. I, I disagree with that because I don't think this is the tail end of the snake. I think this is just the snake part. <laughs> <laughs> like you, okay. you're, you're making the argument that this is like the dredge. Of cinema, and I don't think it is. I think this is the. I think this is the median of cinema. I think this is the absolute, just bread and butter, uh, uh, bowl of mac and cheese. Just the absolute mm, generic the, the, middle. Seven Eleven hot dog. Yeah, it's the middle of cinema. It is the. It is what's going on in the. It, before anything interesting enough has been done to it to make it great or to make it crap. It's here in Hallmark town. Now, you might argue that's not interesting. I actually think that's very interesting. I actually think it's interesting to sort of look at like what is going on? What is the the what 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 is the the not even honey oat cheerios, what is just the cheerios that people are eating and what is it doing to them? Yeah. That they're just eating the what the, this is you ate McDonald's every day for a month kind of vibe. What, like, what is that doing to us as a society and, and as a person? Um, I think you can learn a lot by just looking at what people digest without thinking. Yeah. And I think that's true for superhero movies a lot of the time as well. A lot yeah. of people are talking about, I'm not looking for art. I'm looking to just be generically entertained. Like, I'm not trying to analyze... Th- Someone said this on on, tw- on Twitter. I don't remember who mm. it was, but it was, like, it was like some quote tweet. And they were like, I don't analyze everything. Therefore, I think every movie is fun. Mm.
1: Personally, I would argue you're giving up your right to have standards. Well, and, and I don't think that's right. And I do think... You're changing your standards and you're also yeah. uh, forgetting the fact that the analysis is also fun. Exactly. That's, that's a big part of the movie. So that's, and that's my point here. We,
0: you and I could, if we were bad critics, I think, hmm. dismiss superhero movies and just not bother covering them. I know some people might want to do that. Uh, but we cover them anyway because people are watching them and we
1: should not let that go unanalyzed. We we should figure out what is in the food that the most number of people are eating. Exactly. And which brings me back
0: to Hallmark. I am interested in that Uh. because a lot of people are just absorbing this stuff. Mm. A lot of this stuff is meant not even to be watched. It's meant to be on in the background while you do things, while you do your chores, while you Mm. trim the Christmas tree, while you do your laundry or your dishes. So it's literally just like almost subconscious a lot of it as you just absorb it. And I think that needs to be examined. I happen to think that's kind of interesting to see like, here's what is just the background noise of cinema right now. And I don't think we should completely ignore that. I realize that there's so much cinema out there, we have to pick and choose our battles. But someone has to pick this mm-hmm. in order to at least examine it and yeah, be able to yeah. say, here's what's going on over there. Is it interesting? Is it bad for us? Is it good for us? Is it absolute? Is it absolute? Uh, what do you like to call things? A mild farina?
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, is it a mild
0: farina? Like is I don't even know what a
1: farina is. It's it's an ode, it's like oatmeal. It's like a okay. it's like a, a warm grain cereal.
0: I thought you were talking about some just like really middle of the road Dennis Farina joint. Like, (laughs) like Dennis Farina was just okay. Well, the
1: the idea of uh, Farina, which is really bland, having a mild variety is kind of the gag. And that's my point. So I'm here to, because, and again,
0: I think if everyone dedicated all their time to us, it would be largely unnecessary. Mm. It would be probably more than this deserves. But some people, I think, need to look at every single kind of movie. Nothing should go completely unexamined. Mm. And I volunteered. (laughs) No one asked me to.
1: You're braver than I. And in (laughs) fact, I I apparently have,
0: have... have introduced a few people to mm. this, and they now do the thing. So for that, I apologize. You know what? I, but, you know. I,
1: I can't throw stones because I've, I've watched all 13 of like, or excuse me, 16 now, of mm-hmm. the witchcraft movies. You made you know, your choices. Yeah, so I've, I've made some bad choices. Yeah, in my we, all, as well. we all
0: choose, we all pick our battles, mm. okay? And I've picked this battle, and I used to commit to it whole hog, and I don't have that freedom anymore. I have way too much on my plate, and there's way too much of it. I wish I did. I wish I had that kind of time. But I don't, so I'm gonna pick and choose. I'll do a few more over the course of the Christmas season, not too many, Uh, and yeah. But fortunately, this one, yeah, especially for a Hallmark movie, not bad. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, let's move on. Tell me about that Banshees movie that you that you were interested in talking about. I don't even know if you (laughs) like it. I know
1: I know people are talking about it. Uh, This is the latest film from Martin McDonough. Um, he's an Irish filmmaker. Mm -hmm. Uh, He. He did a film early in his career called Six Shooter, but I didn't see. But I did see uh, In Bruges, which sort of like broke him through mm. in the United States. And that's a very good film. Yeah, uh, and and it's also uh, also stars Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. In that film, they're hit uh, hitmen, mm-hmm. and they're hiding out after like a bad job, and they have to hide out in this little Belgian town called Bruges, mm, which and is
0: very they, very fairy tale like, very yeah, very yeah.
1: beautiful. But you know the clash between these sort of like grumpy, violent hitmen in this. Uh, Happy Little Town causes, mm. like, not just the comedy of errors, but also, like, a serious existential crisis. Yeah. For the, uh, especially the Colin Farrell character. That's a
0: really good film. I like that mm. movie a lot.
1: Uh, I, I think it's a little overrated, but that's... I
0: okay. I, I would, I think that's probably yeah, fair, I but I, I still have no, n- no animosity towards it. I don't think it's bad. I think okay. it's just maybe not the classic, that they'll make it
1: out to be. Uh, he did a film in the United States called Seven Psychopaths, uh, which had... Uh, Uh, Sam Rockwell and Woody Harrelson, also Colin Farrell, because Mm. it's the movies. Yeah, Um, didn't see it. I didn't care for it. All
2: right,
0: I
1: I thought it was. uh, It's it's
0: one of those movies about like a screenwriter who like gets caught up in things while he's trying to. It's it's one of those movies a little too clever by half for me. Like it's trying to be so nineties indies. It's trying to be like so edgy and so self aware (laughs) that I think it doesn't really tell a convincing story. I think it's pretty much just all. All right. It's pretty much all self-awareness. Uh, that's me. I know a lot of people who yeah. like that movie. I didn't care for it much.
1: His next film was uh, Three bill Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, another American film, also mm. with Sam Rockwell. Won a couple uh, Academy Awards. Yeah, uh, Sam Rockwell won an Academy Award. And, uh, and Martin McDonough did for a screenplay. That's right. I uh, think so. And did... Frances McDormand didn't win that. No, right? she did. Oh, she, she did. did. Okay. She, no, I uh, so, almost forgot about that. She yeah, did, Frances yeah. McDormand won, won an Academy Award. Uh, yeah. Deservedly so. She's an excellent actress. Uh, yeah. And that is a film that... Um, I think is showing Martin McDonough like trying to grow into something a little bit different. He's actually, in that film, was looking into a sort of a, a certain kind of moral complexity and how one can take sort of the, the path of righteousness into their own hands mm-hmm. and how unsure that makes you, how justice is not clean, especially in the United States. Uh, it, mm-hmm. It's about a...
0: A uh, correction: Martin McDonough didn't win an Oscar for that. It was only
1: Frances McDormand and Rockwell. Okay, well, I don't know. I forget. Who, I don't know how I screwed that up. But anyway. I'm glad Sam Rockwell has an Academy Award. I'm mm. glad, uh, and Frances McDormand can have as many as she wants. Uh, three and counting. Yeah, <laughs> I think one
0: more and she ties Catherine Hepburn. Fine,
1: fine. Yeah, she's good. she's great in Nomadland too. I yeah. love Nomadland. Oh yeah, um, totally deserved. Uh, but yeah, three billboards is uh, this woman takes out three billboards outside of uh, this little town in Missouri. Uh, Ebbing. It, and in, in treating the local police force, uh, to, she's trying to shame the local police force into reopening the case of the death of her daughter, which yeah. was uh, violent really, vi- and terrible. Violent, yeah, really violent and terrible. She's outraged and nothing's been solved and they never caught the guy. Yeah. And so she uh, is frustrated that justice doesn't seem to work. And her only uh, language is the language of advertising. This is an American film, yeah. so she has to use the language of advertising to sort of put her outrage out into the world. And all we've really learned is that when you advertise outrage, you just spread outrage, and it, yeah. it doesn't really solve much of anything. It's and it's not even really cathartic. Yeah. And when uh, and the I, the ending is a little bit vague because uh, she and Sam Rockwell, who previously hated each other, uh-huh. end up forming this weird uneasy alliance to go and like. Potentially, exactly. Pot- potentially, kind do some yeah. something like action movie like at the end. There's, but,
0: there's a version of that movie. I mm. feel like that would be just a straight up western.
1: Like, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh,
0: this this guy shot my child, and the West mm. sheriff has done nothing, and I've come to town in order to stir things up and shame everybody and get the yeah, get I justice a, done. And
1: I think Three yeah. Billboards lives in a little bit more of a, of a morally ambiguous place, mm. and, and I appreciate that about it. I don't think it's wholly. Uh, Successful just because yeah. I think it, it sprawls out in too many directions. Well, you
0: like that movie a lot more than I do. Mm. Um I, I appreciate what it's going well, for, I... but I think what it's going for is done so bluntly mm. um that it's I think it's like it's like screaming for attention, but I actually don't think it actually has any real weight behind its ideas. Mm. I think it's just trying well, think... to be uh trying to f- approach things in a way that will get your attention, but I'm not actually convinced it warrants my attention once mm-hmm. I'm there because I don't think the conversations it's
1: having are very healthy or even well, think, that interesting a lot of the time. I think what I think that's kind of a big part of three mm-hmm. billboards is that they're trying to mm-hmm. uh, show you that there aren't simple conversations to be had and people are always mm-hmm. constantly they're not connecting in a very important way mm-hmm. that there's different ideas of what would be just in this situation and how people approach the law and how people approach their rage. So when you even get people together to discuss the same topic, they're not they're not connecting. And I think that's a big part of Three Billboards. I, 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 I wish I liked it as much as you did. I think it's uh, too long. I think the ideas aren't entirely clear. But there's some mm. things in there that I think Mark McDonough is at least trying to do that's kind of interesting. Okay. Uh, so I, I did want to defend it a little bit because I know oh. it, it got a lot of shit. Well, it's, it's really important
0: um, that you give out context here yeah. because you're the one who's going to be reviewing I yeah. didn't see Banshees yet All right, so I um, thank you for sharing that uh, um.
1: The Banshees of Inishirin is another film that uh, this is a film that is very much about uh, depression and sadness it takes place in Inishirin which is a little tiny island off the coast of Ireland uh, in the 1920s during the Irish Civil War and very mm. occasionally you'll hear the booming weapons from the Civil War coming in from across the bay mm. and uh, Brendan Gleeson plays a man who uh, he and the Colin Farrell character uh, prior to the start of the movie were very good friends. They were drinking buddies. They would go grab a pint and sort of talk about nothing. And that was really enough for the Colin Farrell character. Brendan Gleeson says one, uh, one day, Hey, I'm not coming down to the pub with you. We're not friends anymore. I, I don't like hearing you talk Mm -hmm. and I don't ever want to hang out with you ever again.
0: So he's basically just breaking up with him. Yeah, he's kind of breaking like up. Like if you broke up a marriage, there's other nothing wrong, but I'm unhappy and you're not yeah, making I'm, me happy and I'm done. Yeah.
1: Uh, okay. Colin, the Colin Farrell character, he gets a really good performance, Colin Farrell, oh, he's this good actor, actually. Uh, is completely baffled by this. He doesn't know why. He's not given an explanation. Like, And mm-hmm. he even asks, what did I do? You didn't do anything. I just don't like you anymore. And we're not going to be friends. And, of course, Colin Farrell uh, keeps on pushing and... He has, uh, you know, there's there's other characters sort of showing a lot more facets of who he is. He lives with, Carrie, Carrie Condon plays his sister, and he lives mm-hmm. with his sister in the home. Uh, there's this young, irascible man who is, like, a little bit unhinged, who's constantly getting beat up. He's played by Barry Keoghan. I love Barry Keoghan. Very good actor. Uh, and, yeah, he, like, he, when he gets beaten up, Colin Farrell takes him in. He gets to live with uh, Colin Farrell and, and uh, Carrie Condon for a little bit. Uh, And of course, so he's sort of this warm guy who understands the world in a very sort of simple way. The idea that his best friend would kind of cut him off wounds him in a way that he can't really comprehend. And he keeps on going back to Brendan Gleeson saying, why have you cut me out? And until the point where Brendan Gleeson, in this very ghoulish Tales from the Crypt kind of twist says i I need you out of my life so bad that every time you talk to me and annoy me, I will cut off one of my own fingers and I will leave it on your doorstep. and I'll keep on doing that until I have no fingers left. He doesn't end the movie with all of his fingers. okay. Uh, what he wants to do is sort of he plays the plays the violin and he's trying to write some songs. he's trying to have a little bit of peace. and that's what he longs for is peace. Mm-hmm. And over the course of the movie, we realize that the Brendan Gleeson character is unbearably depressed. Uh, he has realized, he, he's going through a crisis where he realized that death is pretty close in his life. He's kind of an older man. There's a war raging. The world has sort of gone fallow. When, when is the take place now? No, or? in the twi- I said in the 20s. Oh, I misheard yeah, you. Okay. And yeah, okay. uh, <clears throat> during the, the Civil War.
2: Okay.
1: And, uh... He, he only needs to, he feels like he needs to cherish every moment of his life and he doesn't want to fill it with idle prattle.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: so, you know, going down to the bar and having a pint and just talking with his best friend is going to be like the worst possible thing he can do with his time. And he becomes so obsessed with this idea that he's willing to mutilate himself to get that piece. Uh, it, 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 this film really delves into some pretty heady places. And I've, you mm-hmm. know, in a, a, a a way that Martin McDonnell hasn't done in his movies in the past. I talked about Three Billboards. I defended it. But like I said, it, it's it's a muddle. There's a lot of ideas that aren't really like connecting together. That, that's
0: how I feel about Three Billboards and I know you didn't see it, but Seven Psychopaths. It's mm. He's spreading himself really thin.
1: Yeah. He can not really focus I, on anything so like he could I'm, in Bruges. I, I want to say I'm not a Martin McDonald fan. I'm not. A, yeah. he, I don't love his movie. I think, it, it, like I said, in Bruges is, I think, kind of overrated. I like yeah. the sort of wildness of that movie, but there's also a lot of depressive moments that mm-hmm. I think are like stand out. This is one that actually feels like a little like it mm. coheres better than any of his previous movies. Mm. Uh, it coheres around dark, sad things. Mm-hmm. and uh, it's about uh, sort of the dark, sad journeys of these characters. It goes to some pretty twisted places that you might not understand and don't agree with, but I feel like he's at least getting at something a little bit more uh, more gentle and honest this time around. I don't know if I love it, okay. But i appreciate a lot of what is being thrown at me it's it sounds it's interesting because um
0: I look at uh Martin McDonough and I think it's his brother John Michael McDonough uh-huh. uh, who was also a director and directs mostly really good movies. He did a uh really amazing uh performance from brendan from Brendan Gleason called Calvary. Where mm. uh, Brennan Gleason plays a Catholic priest, and someone goes to confession and says, I'm going to kill you, mm. and I'm confessing to that. <laughs> and he's trying to figure out who in town would do such a thing. Mm. Uh, and it is a very, very thoughtful film about what it means to be Catholic in the 22nd century, knowing what we know now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's an excellent film. I, and I, I, I think didn't see that. I wanted to see that. I, I haven't yeah. seen every movie he's in, but as far as I'm concerned, it's the best performance I've ever seen Brendan Gleeson give, which mm. is saying something. It's excellent. He, yeah. Uh, he did a really great buddy cop movie called The Guard, where Brendan Gleeson <laughs> is this incredibly, <laughs> uh, like, he's corrupt, but, like, not in an evil way kind of cop. Like, he just, like, he would take drugs off of someone and then just casually take all the drugs. He just doesn't have much going on. And then Don Cheadle is like a visiting American cop is like after some escaped fugitive or something mm-hmm. like that and becomes a whole thing. It doesn't go where you expect. It's a really, really great movie. Uh, I feel like what I always liked about John Michael McDonough's films is that they had this kind of focus mm-hmm. and this kind of... Just I'm just gonna get the most out of like a couple of characters, yeah. kind of thing, and just be very very clear with my themes and explore the shit out of them. And I felt that that's something that Martin McDonough did pretty good within Bruges, and then got lost in mm. in Seven Psychopaths by just stretching himself too thin. And then this year, John, uh, uh, John Michael McDonough's movie, uh, The Forgiven. Was a mess. <laughs> was just like, it was like, it didn't know what to do with itself. It spread itself too thin. And now it seems like Martin McDonough made a really focused character piece. Oh, uh, yeah. And uh, this is what happened with Disney and Pixar. They just sort of uh, crossed the, the, yeah, over. Uh, it's like, and like, now Disney makes pick more
1: Pixar movies uh, than Pixar does right uh, now. And it's really weird. Uh, yeah, maybe so. Maybe, yeah. maybe they are just sort of we're talking a lot and influencing each other. Yeah, who can and, say? Uh, who can say? I just think it's funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, like I said, it's, it's a pretty brutal film. Uh, yeah. The Banshees of Inishurin, and uh, it's uh, not going to be a pleasant watch. It's actually an incredibly sad movie, mm. uh, and it's uh, character-driven in a theatrical sort of way, where we're actually spending a lot of time living with these people and getting to know who they are. The Carrie Condon character has uh, received an offer to leave Ireland and go, go go work in London, and that will sort of throw off the balance of mm. this steady comfort that is in this little small town, Uh, It, it's about a world that is changing, which, you know, that feels very topical right now. Uh, And it feels how it kind of addresses how the changing world can lead people to sort of extremes. Uh, And I I feel like this would be a lot more comfortable on stage. Hmm. uh, But I, I... there's there's something going on here and I'm going to be thinking about this one a lot. I think I'll, cool. I'll be mentioning more and more about, I think, how, how it fits together as the year goes on. You know,
0: as the as the year goes on, I find that some of the movies that I was really, really high in at the beginning of the year, I still think they're good movies, mm. but the ones that I just keep mulling over are the ones that keep raising in my estimation. Like, mm. um, Apollo half. Apollo ten and a half. When we first reviewed that, I was like, "It's okay." I just didn't yeah, yeah. really care about, it. and yet I keep going back. To it. <laughs> keep thinking about over oh, and over again. It's it's gone. It's gone. I don't remember if I give it. If I didn't give it like our top grade mm-hmm. when it at the time, I would now. Okay. Like it just really really stuck in because it just sticks in my craw. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's really really cool. I need to check this one out. I'm excited yeah. too. Well, well it's time to really. Uh... This has
1: been a great year for animation, by the way. Yes, yeah. It's been so good. There, animation
0: is... and horror have both been like really stellar all year. Yeah.
1: Uh, which, uh, uh, a... yeah. Because uh, we, we've had uh, Apollo 10 and a half. Yep. Marcel the Shell. Uh, Turning Red. Turning Red was great really movie. good. Uh, uh, Mad God is one of my favorites of the year. Yep. Uh, and uh, uh, Inu O, a uh, great movie. I didn't see uh, Inu O. Yeah. Um, uh, there's, uh, and next week we'll be talking. Henry Selick, the director of Coraline uh-huh. and Nightmare Before Christmas, made another spooky Halloween stop motion animated film yeah. with Jordan Peele. So yeah. uh, that's going to be really exciting. Uh, we had
0: uh, Chippendale Rescue Rangers, which is way cleverer than you mm. might think. Um, I feel like we had a couple others as well. But yeah, it's been a really... Oh, The, uh, the Sea Beast. Oh, The Sea Beast. That was the other one, That was, that one. was yeah. a lovely film. That was really, really I good. I like The Sea Beast a lot. Yeah. So yeah, really great year for animation, and really great year for horror as well. And mm-hmm. uh, the last three movies we're reviewing on Critically Claimed this week are all horror movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I guess let's start with VHS nine, uh, 99. Okay. It's uh, like the fourth or fifth VHS, VHS the, movie. Well, the, the fifth proper VH, uh, VHS movie, but they had a off. Uh-huh. Because the original, VHS is a series of anthology horror films, and they're all based on the premise of you found, like, a VHS with something, like, creepy and forbidden on it. Yeah. Uh, they've always kind of struggled to justify the premise. Each film has a different um, uh, sort of framing device. Some are more effective than others, but the gist is it's a horror anthology all based around the aesthetic and usually sort of, like,
1: timeline yeah. of when people would be using VHS huh. tapes. Uh, um, a little bit of a secret. None of them are shot on VHS. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, one I, might have, but I don't think so. Yeah, I saw most of that first one, and none of the were no. the were Well, the first, the, were well shot the first on
0: one they really hadn't like sussed it all out yet. Mm. Uh, I, I I think for, what was that? There was a segue I was making here. Um, oh, you said something I totally lost my train of thought.
1: Totally sorry. Talking
0: about horror movies and there was VHS and there was like a whole thing.
1: Framing devices for each film.
0: No, earlier, earlier... Forget it, it's done. Anyway, we're right. talking about the VHS movies. Uh, oh, they are talking about the numbering. So uh, there are five, now with the new one, VHS movies on all horror anthologies. However, the first movie had an installment called... Uh, I forget it was called Siren, but it was about a bunch of guys who uh, were trying to secretly film a sexual encounter so they can put it on the internet. You know, all right. horrible stuff. Um, and uh, it turns out that one of the people... Uh, wasn't uh, a person, but was in fact a siren who had lured them and was going like, <laughs> to kill them. Fun premise. That premise was considered strong enough that they actually did a feature-length spinoff called Siren. That's okay. its own thing. It's not an anthology. So technically six films, but five in the proper anthology format. Uh, like any anthology horror series, it has ups and downs. Uh, I think the first film is mostly pretty forgettable. Okay. The second one, VHS two, has at least two really really great segments. Uh, one is about a guy, and this is this isn't on VHS, but. Uh, You just gotta let that go after a while. A guy who puts, like, a GoPro on his helmet as he's bicycling. So, like, later on he can watch, like, you know, in first person, Mm. the bicycle ride. And uh, while he's doing that, and while he has the GoPro strapped to his head, he's bitten by a zombie. And he turns into a zombie, and it turns into a first-person zombie movie from the zombie's perspective. That's adorable. That's a fun premise, and it does a lot with it. Uh, There is also a segment uh, called Safe Haven, which is one of the most Fucked up horror movies of the last decade, or so. I, uh, I guess it is technically you, last decade. You have my attention. Uh, it's from Timo Ciccianto, uh, who, uh, boy, that that guy. <laughs> that guy has that guy has has stuff on his mind. Uh, he did that movie, The Night Comes for Us. A lot of people like that. He did uh, May the Devil Take You. Uh, and he did segments for VHS and VHS ninety four, which are two of the best in the series. Safe Haven is the story of a uh, like a sixty minutes kind of news crew, and uh, they have got access to a cult, a creepy cult, and they're here to interview the leader and like secretly film him for their show. Hmm. Uh, and it's a doomsday cult and they're all getting ready for the, for the, the day it will happen, whatever it is. And it turns out it happens in the middle of the interview and now they're stuck here while unbelievably horrendous shit happens. It's genuinely disturbing, very, uh, imaginatively violent. It's fucked up, but it is a hell of a ride. I gotta tell you, like that's, that movie is, whew, that's nuts.
1: Uh, then you, we, you didn't see The Sadness from earlier this year. No, I didn't see The it? Sadness. I heard that was interesting. Yeah, um, so, well, I mean, that's. Speaking of fucked up. Yeah, it. I heard it was fucked up. Uh,
0: let's see. Then there was VHS Viral, which is pretty forgettable. There's a decent. Um, uh, Nacho Vigolando is a director I really, really like. He did mm-hmm. Time Crimes and uh, Colossal. And he did a pretty good, kind of creepy Outer Limits episode where the guy who, like, builds a door to a parallel dimension and it goes horribly wrong. And that's, that's pretty good, but. That one's pretty forgettable. Uh, then there was VHS 94, uh, which has a couple of really, really good segments. There's one about uh, a local news station that's uh, doing a report on a cryptid. There have been a lot of sightings oh, yeah. of a, of a you know...
1: A mothman or something. Yeah, like
0: yeah. a mothman over a Bigfoot. And here it's a ratman living in the sewers. And boy, does that go to fun places. All right. Uh, and then Timo Chijanto is back for a segment about a mad scientist who is like trying to create cyborgs using technology that was available in the 90s and right. I'm there. It's really fucked up. And then it weirdly transforms into the coolest video game movie you've ever seen. And it's like really fucking wild and weird. Uh and it's pretty good. Right. It's pretty good. Honestly, VHS uh, 94 is really really solid. The latest one is VHS
1: 99. Um when are we going to get to DVD? Like ninety nine? I know, right? We were using DVDs. At well, that, that time. was not the norm yet. No, it yeah, I was. I mean, it was a little
0: exclusive.
2: Yeah, you know, yeah.
0: It was it was mostly fu- VHS. You know, it's funny. The uh, I saw VHS two at Sundance a couple of months before it got uh, released outside of Sundance. You know, you know, it, main, you know no, it was called
1: SVHS. Road. It
0: was originally called SVHS, which is a format that most people don't even know existed. Yeah, uh, and I think that was probably something they were playing with, and then for marketing and branding purposes, they realized that no one's going to see a movie called Divix. <laughs> like, they don't know what that is. <laughs> They're not going to go see, like, that's not really going to have oh, that. Oh,
1: man. Like, like, at some point, you just... it's like slash the, I slash V slash I.
0: We interviewed uh, John M. Chu, uh, uh, and we talked to him about uh, Now You See Me, the the two, which he directed. Oh. He didn't direct the original. That was Louis Leterio. <laughs> And we asked the question everyone asks when they yeah. talk about Now You See Me too: Why wasn't it called Now You, now you See you... Me colon Now You Don't?
1: Yeah, or just Now You Don't.
0: Yeah, and uh, and I believe, in memory serves, the answer was they wanted to, and the marketing department said, we have a brand to protect. Yeah. We have to keep calling it Now You See Me. Mm. <laughs> so just, it's got to be just Now, now You, See, you Me See Me Too.'" too yeah. Like, that's important. So uh, it's, it is what it is. So they stuck with VHS, and now we're here with VHS 99. And VHS 99, I'm going to say this right now. The, the curse of most horror anthologies, and we're going to talk about this a lot because we have a whole Iron List episode about horror anthologies mm. coming up this uh, in a week or so, uh, but uh, the curse of the horror anthology is because each horror anthology is a series of smaller movies, the curse is inconsistency. Usually there's like one good one, sometimes there's only one bad one, but it's very rare that they're all good. Mm. This one, pretty good all around. Like okay. not, not a lot of like... There's like two big highlights... And then the rest of them are still pretty decent. And I'm going to give them some kudos for that, because that's hard to pull off that level of consistency. Uh, The uh, overarching premise is thinner than ever before. We're watching a VHS... That's it. That's pretty much it. Uh, there is these interstitials where there needs like to
1: be like a, a, a dilapidated video store. I think there's like a, and with... there's like a, a crypt keeper like sort of stalking the halls. They've tapes never off done the show. one at a video store, and I don't know why. It uh... seems like that's the
0: obvious choice. They did um, one where like um, people broke into a house and it was full of these creepy VHSs, and they watched it. And they did one that was like it, it was in the 90s, and police were raiding like a pirate video ring. Uh-huh. And, but all but the when they got into like the warehouse, they were full of rooms of like like in Halloween three people watching television and then like dying horribly in some way, um, a little more elaborate than it needed to be. Creepy video store is enough. That's all you need. If you were around in the '90s and you didn't just go to Blockbuster, there was these mm-hmm. like mom and pop video stores, and they would sometimes be like, "Yeah, you want to see what we got in the back?" Yeah, there like, you go. This is where we have, like, the pirated stuff, like, we're not supposed to have, like, the cut of the movie that doesn't supposed mm-hmm. to exist, or maybe we got, like, it a can't... copy of an Academy screen or something that isn't on home yeah, video yeah, it yet. It pulls it down as, like, a yeah.
1: video drum, that cassette yeah. itself is breathing.
0: Yeah. yeah, like, there should be, I don't understand why they haven't done that yet, it feels really obvious to me, but, in any case, here there's a, there's a little bit of um. Um, uh, it's not even a framing device It's just in between the movies uh, There's some kid who has been making these like Kind of weirdly violent stop motion Home videos with his little army guys His little green army guys uh-huh. And they're actually pretty funny They <laughs> don't really amount to anything But they're pretty funny uh, But uh, there, there's a couple different sequences I'll tease them a little bit uh, The first one's pretty fun It's called Shredding uh, And uh, it is about A uh, uh, a, a punk band in the 90s and they're filming mm. themselves doing punk band stuff trying to get like their their edge cred Yeah. and they decide what they're going to do is they're going to break into this venue where three years ago an all-girl punk band that was on its way to greatness uh, was trampled to death by their own fans because a fire broke out
1: oh, geez. Okay. and now it's haunted by them and uh, the go- haunted by the Ghosts of a of Girl punk, punk Band. band. Is, yeah. is that, okay, I'm there. That's a good start, right?
0: Um, where it goes is a little obvious. The last image of it, it's really fucked up. Okay. But, like, it's not the best. It's just pretty decent little, like, we shouldn't have, we shouldn't have gone here. And then bad stuff happens, and the last image is really gross. And I'll give you that. Uh, the next one is called uh, Suicide Bid. And it is about uh, a uh, college student who has decided she is only going to apply to one sorority. All right. This is what allegedly, according to, I don't know if this is true or not, it's called a suicide bid because if you only apply to one and they don't take you, then you are ostracized from polite society forever and it's going to ruin your your reputation and your opportunities to have a fun college life. Whatever, I don't know about it. Uh, But uh, because she did something so foolish... The sorority decides to do the worst hazing thing they possibly can. Mm-hmm. And so they said, "Okay, we've all done this. Uh, yeah, we've we've all done this. Uh yeah, we're going to bury you alive for a night. And we're going <laughs> to We're just going to we've, we've yeah. gone to this,
1: we've gone to the cemetery, we've dug this sucker up. We're uh, going to put you in the coffin. I've seen tales from the crypt, too." Yeah,
0: and but you know what? This one overplays its hand. I feel like it has like one all ending right. too many. But the actual claustrophobic horror of it and the uh, very mean-spirited tales in The Crypt's Humor it's got, uh, effective. Okay. Like, it's genuinely very, yeah. very creepy. I, I think it's got at least one ending too many. It didn't really need it, but it's pretty cool. And it's, it's genuinely rather scary. Uh, the next one is the one that I told you about this because I want you to see this at some point. It's called Ozzy's Dungeon, and it's an evil double dare story.
2: <laughs>
0: if you recall, in the nineties, there were a
1: lot of kids' programs that were all about putting kids through like obstacle courses. Well, D- double dare was like eighty-eight or eighty-nine, and um, but it was on through the 90s, yeah, and uh, it was Nickelodeon program. Yeah, it was, a- and it was a game show. Yeah. You'd answer trivia questions, and if you couldn't answer the questions, you could go through what they called the physical challenge. Yeah, and it was wacky things like roll yourself up in a giant taco or yeah. spread chocolate sauce on your yeah. partner. Yeah, it was, take it was a little messy.
0: Take a slip and slide into a big plastic swimming pool full of jello, and yeah. inside the jello, there's a bunch so there's of a like flag, flag yeah, and you to gotta get the flag. flag. Okay, so well, my, face, favorite, my favorite
1: yeah. was the big nose full of like oh, goop, that was full, Like gross. goop snot. You, you have to like reach your arm into it into a gigantic like. Goop goop Pick all the boogers out
0: of the nose and get a flag. Yeah, really, the really nose. gross. So the premise of Ozzy's Dungeon is there was a show like this called Ozzy's Dungeon, uh, and <laughs> rather than just win money, if you make it all the way through Ozzy's Dungeon, you get a wish granted, and right. no one has ever done it, <laughs> even though they keep going. And the the games you have to play are really humiliating. And towards the end of one of them, something really unspeakably like terrifying happens, like on live television. And then it keeps going, mm. and I'm not going to tell you where it goes from there, but uh, it's another one that I think maybe overplays its hand a little bit, doesn't need to go quite what it does at like the very, very end, but before that, solid premise, genuinely creepy, okay. it's decent, it works. Uh, there's a, There's one called The Gawkers, which is about a group of... Um, adolescent little shitheads Uh, uh, who have a crush on this uh, young woman who has moved in next door to them and they've been using their VHS camera to like zoom in and try to film her and try to get her uh, uh, naked. That goes to a place that's frankly not specifically predictable but when it gets there you're like oh yeah Yeah, okay fair enough. Uh, That one's just the one that's just okay. And then there's my favorite.
1: Okay.
2: (laughs) And I love this.
0: This feels like 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 discovering a Sam Raimi thing for the first time. Ooh. And the makers of this one uh are uh, Vanessa and Joseph Winter, and they have another film that is out on um Shudder. On Shutter, I think it's called Deadstream, which I've heard oh, people yeah. saying really I, good
1: things about. I, I started to watch it, I didn't get to finish it in time. Based and...
0: on this short, I need to watch that movie. I think <laughs> these people might be onto something. It's called The Hell and Back. Uh-huh. It is about uh, a couple of like documentary filmmakers. On New Year's Eve, 1999. And they are documenting a witch's coven that is trying to raise a demon from hell, and they can only do it, like, every thousand years. All right. So, it, tonight's the night. And they've agreed to let themselves be filmed by these two guys who are completely eye-rolling, like, here we go. They start the, they start the ritual. They accidentally summon the wrong demon at first, and so they send him back to hell. Ah. And then... He drags the documentary filmmakers back down to hell with them. Oh, fun. And they have nine minutes to try to find a way to get back to Earth before the ritual is done.
1: (laughs) And that is clever. Found footage in hell.
0: In hell. All right. Clever, funny, really good character work, too. Like, you really, really like these guys. Uh, They meet this, like... Uh, this woman named Mabel the Skullbiter, who is like their guide through hell. Like, boy, is that fucking funny. Like, it is really funny. Some really fucked up imagery in it. Like, it doesn't forget to be a horror movie. Like, it is funny and freaky. Um, fully complete character story. Like, it is really good. If you right. do nothing, if just, if you, even if you just skip to this part, do yourself a favor and watch To Hell and Back. Because, as like, a, it's like 10, 15 minutes, however long it is. It is a great horror short. It is right up there. It's it's not quite as like, oh my god, what the hell did I just watch? It's not quite as amazing as Safe Haven, but it is like my second favorite VHS short. And it is worth seeing for that alone. But all the other ones are really, really solid. I didn't think the Gawkers was terribly great, but it's not bad. Okay, This is actually like a solid, from beginning to end, horror anthology. And I recommend it. There you go. I recommend this movie. Sounds
1: good. Yeah. All right. Uh, You saw a horror movie called Slayers. I did. Um, I saw this as part of the uh, horror festival that I got to sit on the jury for. That's exciting. finally released to the the public, so I got to talk Mm. about this one. And it's getting completely trashed by by the Ah. critics who have seen it, which is a pity because I really like it. Oh, that's Um, a bummer. Tell me about it. uh, This is... um, it, it's it's like super MTV stylized. This mm. is like vintage 94 with its like fast editing and really snarky sense of humor and a lot of clips from classic movies. It feels like the, those old culture jamming videos back mm. from back in the day. Yeah, Thomas Jane, uh, who you know, Thomas Jane, good actor. Mm-hmm. I like him. His appearance in a movie is no guarantee. No. <laughs> he's, because he's been in a lot of trash.
0: No, could, he is one of the modern Scream Kings though. He just yeah. keeps making them, doesn't he?
1: Yeah, and yeah. Uh, he'll he'll and he's trying to turn in a good performer. I saw a film with him recently called 1922. Oh, did you see it before? Where, uh, I saw it like uh, just a couple months ago, and mm. um, it was a Stephen King adaptation. Yeah, uh, and it's. It's a thirty-minute story stretched in a feature length. That was and, my problem with And it Thomas it as well. Jane's accent is impenetrable. Like I, I don't, don't know, know what he thought he where, was doing. Where he thinks he's I don't know where he's from. I think
0: he was I think he was trying to like impress everybody with how he could create like a whole a whole character or something and like yeah. be completely un-Thomas Jane, but he's actually just hard to understand.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's actually just weird performance. Um and. Uh, he plays sort of the Van Helsing character. He's like mm. this na- grizzled old narrator who's talking about, yeah, the vampires, they, they actually, like, run the world, man, and they're in charge of everything, and they're in charge of industry. Mm. And their new, Vampire's new plot is to wrangle up a bunch of, in- like, really shallow Instagram influencers and bring them to their house saying, you get to be our new brand ambassadors. <laughs> and being a brand ambassador <laughs> means you got to be a fucking vampire and like spread the word of vampireness all right it's kind of astonishing how many horror films i've seen recently just this year that are about uh, social media influencers—it's a thing. Like, uh, but it's a thing. I mean, that's that's what the generation's talking about. So. Horror
0: is constantly trying to be mm. on the cutting edge of whatever is trendy yeah. right now, even if it means being dated later. Yeah. Because the, the the production schedule is so quick in most horror movies, it can mm. be—you
1: can actually be pretty top, really up to date. Yeah. Um, uh, the the influencers are played by Abigail Breslin who's actually one of the producers on this
2: movie,
1: Kara mm-hmm. uh, Hayward, who was in... Uh, uh, I know moon, that name. She, she was the girl from uh, Moonri- Moonrise Kingdom. Oh,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah um, she's
1: good, yeah. And uh, Malin Ackerman is in it. She, Of course, Malin Ackerman plays, like, Vampire Lord. Ah, yes. Uh Because she's good at playing a Vampire Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... The, you know, all the, the influencers gather in a big van and they're like been invited out to this big mansion and they're so, uh, self-absorbed that they don't even stop to think that there's anything remotely suspicious about this. We're just going to give you all of this cool stuff and don't think about the fact that we're all like have blood dripping down from the corners <laughs> of our mouth, uh, The actual story is, and you know, once they get there, there's, you know, the usual sort of stalk and kill sequences where people wander off into like the stables and a vampire will beset them. And uh, luckily Thomas Jane leaps in at the last moment and is able to slay the vampires. Whenever a vampire gets killed, we get a (laughs) scorecard. Humans one, vampires zero. And when a a vampire gets somebody, the vampires get a point. All right, that's cute. And when when something blows up, the number goes up a lot. (laughs) Like a lot of people die at once. It's that kind of uh, sort of like Wild's adolescent energy that really kind of drew me in with uh, with Slayers. It, it just gets so noisy and there's so much music and so so much fast editing and fast clips. By the end, it just can't contain itself and literally just goes full Batman where people are <laughs> fighting each other and like noise automata appears above their head. They bow pow, sock and wham. Completely earnestly. It's not trying to necessarily get you with some sort of camp. Uh, There's a a tendency for a film like this to start really stylized and then settle into something really kind of predictable. Mm -hmm. Like it draws you in with an exciting opening and then it becomes a little bit more of a movie. And that's always disappointing. Slayer's does the impossible feat of keeping it up the whole time. Is that exhausting? It sounds like it might be. Uh, it might be a little bit for some people who just are, are a little bit beset by all of the colors and the clips. Not all of the jokes land necessarily. Uh, but they're delivered with such like fun that it's, I found it really infectious. Uh, Thomas Jane as sort of like the grizzled tough straight man for all of these like vapid Instagram influencers mm-hmm. who are all doing you know fine jobs playing their characters is an interesting balance. Like imagine if uh imagine if Van Helsing had a bunch of like clueless teen sidekicks <clears throat> that's kind of the vibe you get from Slayers that's fun yeah and and of course the the vampires are all uh, pretty typically evil there's not, yeah. n- nothing too interesting about the myth of vampires in this movie they don't bring a new yeah. wrinkle
2: yeah uh, turns it,
1: out we're all afraid of cucumbers yeah, nothing like that. Uh, it, it's not, or like in uh, *Vampires Versus the Bronx*, another really good movie that was that's still on Netflix, where it turns out the vampires were the ones gentrifying the neighborhood. Yeah, they they wanted to buy up all this property because they needed a place to store all the coffins. Uh, a fun twist in that movie. Not nothing quite so interesting with slayers. Not a lot of interesting concepts. It's just really good high energy style. And after having seen so many of these like Neo grindhouse movies that are mm-hmm. trying to be really wild and failing, it's uh, like if you go through a lot, any of the streaming services yeah, and you'll see something like it's like you know, werewolves on motorcycles from hell. It's like, oh, that sounds really fun. But mm-hmm. then you realize it was made in 2008. It's yeah. Like, no, I'm not going to watch that.
0: Like if that movie was made in 1984, <coughs> that would yeah, probably yeah. be way more watchable than if it was made now because now... Things are really just kind of thrown together. Back when you had to, like, put them on film, hmm. you actually had to, like, take some effort into them and, like, try to be, like, kind of measured, and now you yeah. can just throw shit out there. Yeah. No, yeah.
1: Uh, you know, some uh, of them, are, you, can be, you can be
0: surprised. Some but, of them are fun. Like, yeah.
1: ho- Hobo with a Shotgun, I think, came well, that's together. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, okay. was, that was yeah. literally
0: a spinoff of Grindhouse. That's true. Uh, in, I think
1: in Canada, they added that short. There, there was a yeah. contest who could make the, the best, like, fake trailer for a movie and yeah. the, the winner was Hobo with a shotgun. And then they actually they, made a Hobo with a shotgun movie, which is mm-hmm. probably the best movie Troma never made. Yeah, it, it has that vibe. It's yeah. like everybody's squishy. Let's you hit somebody with a hammer and they just fucking explode. Yeah. Um,
0: but then Rucker Hauer actually gives like a legitimately award worthy like, performance
1: <laughs> like, in that movie. Like I don't know why no, I don't know nobody why. Told, nobody told him not to to Play it out. Rucker like, Howard can phone really in a performance, performance
0: in. with the best of them. He was in like *Scorpion <laughs> King* four, for fuck's sake. Like, he was <laughs> not really selling it. Like, and indeed, no, no one asked him uh-huh. to. I'm not complaining, but like, he really gave *Hobo with
1: a Shotgun* as yeah. all. That's actually one of his better performances. Uh, point being, you know, your your wolf cops and your mega yeah. foots and these like kinds of neo grindhouse <sighs> movies mm. uh, are re- clearly trying to get a lot of traction from just like a fun idea rather than hiring a fun director mm. who knows how to have fun with that
0: and idea. actually develop that yeah. idea into a real movie like exactly. if, we, if we got you to click on it we win it doesn't really matter if you enjoyed it yeah yeah uh,
1: the, the writer director of Slayers is named Kay Asher Levin and he has really figured out hmm. uh, to how to take this like really wild vampire present premise and keep it completely wild throughout like he yeah. actually wants this to play and be engaging and comes up with a lot of new, interesting ideas of, uh, art, of how to edit a scene or how to shoot an action sequence where it feels really kind of bright and cartoony. Mm-hmm. And that, that kind of movie is really, really rare. So I, I was actually really drawn into Slayers. Uh, and I won't, cool. ap- I won't apologize. No, should sure you? That sounds really,
0: really fun. Um, all right. One more movie to review. Uh, it is a remake of the classic slasher movie, Terror Train, which originally starred... Uh, not, Jamie, wasn't there already a remake of Terror Train? Not that I was aware of. I could be wrong. Let, let, me, let, let me look it up. Um... Um, but uh, it's a remake of Terror Train. Uh-huh. The original Terror Train starred Jamie Lee Curtis and David Copperfield. Not, right. not, not the Dickens guy. The <laughs> magician. As basically himself. And he's the prime suspect on a train full of drunk and horny college students who are, like, dressed up for Halloween and are getting killed one by one by a serial killer who, in a fun twist for the time, didn't have, like, one mask, like Jason or whatever, Mm -hmm. that was a signature mask. He would constantly, like, switch masks with people he was killing so he could impersonate them, lure people into an isolated part of the train, and then murder them and then take their mask and moving on.
1: Uh, This is the first remake, I apologize. I think think they've been trying for a while. Uh, I think I'm confusing it with the remake of Prom Night, another Jamie Lee Curtis yes. horror movie from and, which was remade. And that Prom Night remake sucks. <laughs> it's really—I'm not a
0: huge fan of the original Prom Night. It's not that great. The remake is just Dullsville. <laughs> they did not do anything interesting with it at all. And poor Idris Elba is oh my lost God. in that film. He doesn't know what the hell to do. Like he's Although, just given the most
1: worst-written character. You're you're bearing the lead here. This is a Tubi original. I was getting to that. <laughs> this is a Tubi original.
0: Tubi is a streaming service we've talked about a lot, and I'm mm. not going to go into great detail here. But what I love about Tubi, aside from the fact that it's free, it has commercials, but I will say this, compared to even YouTube, it doesn't have as many commercials as you might think. Mm. Like, it's it's you can watch a movie it's, pretty it's much... honorable. Yeah. It's mostly unmarred. Like there'll be like a handful of times depending on how long the movie is. It's really not that bad. Um Tubi has uh the maybe the best library of cinema outside of the
1: Criterion collection. Uh in terms of like uh Classics you probably haven't seen, a lot of uh, like just mid-budget studio fairs uh-huh. on there, and lot, all lot the of, schlock. Yeah, and a lot of really great schlock from from
0: from multiple eras. You know how like Netflix is pretty much only things from like the late '80s onward. Like occasionally have something older, but it's pretty uh, rare. It, it's, it, Their classic it, it, section literally only has like 20 movies m. in it, and nothing. most of them are from the '90s. Uh, Tubi has like all the library films that none of the other streaming services wanted. This means sometimes the Tubi has films that have literally never been on home video in any form before. Hmm. Like, I've seen films where I was like, hey, remember that movie that Elliot Gould and Robert Mitchum starred in about a boxing kangaroo? Oh, I do remember that one. It was called Matilda. I had heard legend of this movie. It was written about quite extensively in a book called The Golden Turkey Awards, <laughs> which talked about some of the worst movies ever made back when those movies weren't readily available on home video because no one cared. And it was never on home video, and then it finally just popped up on Tubi one day, and I watched it. And let me tell you something, that movie sucks. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty amazing! It's because the kangaroo is not even a real kangaroo. It's like a guy in a really bad kangaroo outfit. Like, even for the time, it was really bad. Like, it's not a good film in any way. So, they've got all the weird shit. And they've started putting out originals, and a lot of their originals are basically, we had to deal with the Asylum. Yeah. To, like, release their shitty mockbusters first. Uh, but, yeah, a lot of their originals are pretty sleazy. They released a film that I will not be reviewing, because I really can't bring myself to do it, uh, recently, a fictional film, like, like actors, script, everything, uh, that was the story of the Amber Heard Johnny Depp trial. Oh, no. They cranked that fucker out in, like, a month and a half. Jeez. And here's the thing, that's incredibly tasteless and way too soon to have anything even remotely resembling objectivity on the issue. Uh, It's also the kind of shit TV used to do all the time. Mm. I remember when there were like three competing Joey Buttafuoco movies. Like, yeah, they, just, they just... Absolutely <coughs> shameless. T- time for that, yeah. You know, just, if, they're, if you're in a headline, especially in a tabloid headline, back in like the 70s, 80s, or 90s, there would be a TV movie w- about you within months. And they would be very tasteless, probably very poorly researched, and basically just there to capitalize on on what is perceived of as tabloid sleaze. Mm. Um, so a 2B original has... No one premature whatsoever. There is no dignity to it. There is nothing. It is not a good sign. And now they've remade Terror Train. Terror Train, the original Terror Train, I would argue, is a very good slasher. It's an uncomplicated slasher, but it's a very good one, and C- it is filmed C- beautifully.
1: Serial killer on a train, pretty, yeah. pretty fun. It,
0: it's got like the same director of photography, I think, is like Barry Lyndon. Like it's like yeah. a well, really good it was, looking uh, film.
1: It's a Roger Spottiswoode film, mm-hmm. if I recall, and you know er- earlier in his career. But... Yeah, and
0: Spottiswood's a very, very good filmmaker. remember when he did uh, Tomorrow Never Dies, yeah. the one of the better uh, late era Bond films, mm-hmm. um, and just excellent filmmaker. Does made made good genre flicks and. Terror Train is a very efficient, very atmospheric, good slasher. Now, normally, when you remake a movie, you have uh, you, you'll have like a, a, a take on it. You know, like okay, so we're gonna do this movie, but we're gonna do it in a different place, or we're gonna focus on a different character, or we're gonna maybe like really beef up the blood and gore, like in a way we couldn't have before, something like that. The visual effects will be better. You know, like you have like a take on it. Uh, The take for this remake of Terror Train is: What if we had no new take whatsoever?
1: Okay, we're just Uh, doing Terror Train again. Novelty to that.
2: We're
0: literally just doing Terror Train again. Mm. There is one plot point that is different. It is towards the end of the film. If you've never seen Terror Train before, you're going to guess it really right away because it's super obvious. And if you have seen Terror Train before, you're probably going to be like, "Well, they wouldn't do that because I've seen Terror Train, and they're following literally every plot point in the movie to its mm. But even then, it's still pretty predictable. Like, it feels like the one thing they're going to change is this. So I'm not going to tell you what it is. The plot of Terror Train is thus: a uh, bunch of kids are in college. At the beginning of the movie, there is a hazing ritual gone wrong. Pranks, if uh, slasher movies in the '80s were any indication, were the leading cause of death of young people in the '80s.
1: Oh, I mean, I, I killed like fifty people, yeah. because of Franks oh, I, 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 I said franks. pranks. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, lots, I fed lots, them hot dogs. Lots of weenies. Uh, no, seriously, like,
0: a, a weird number of slasher movies begin with some nerd, and a prank is pulled on them. Mm, and they accidentally and, kill somebody. And, 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 and then that person gets driven insane, and then they kill a bunch of people. And mm, uh, shit, Prom Night even kind of begins like that in a way. Not exactly, but pretty close. Yeah, mm. um, but that's how the Toxic Avenger begins, Oh, so that's um, a bit of a twist on it. But seriously, like, a lot of these things began with a prank gone awry. There's, there were too many pranks, I guess. Uh, and, uh, one guy gets pranked and it's really gross and it goes bad. And then three years later, all the people who pranked him are graduating and they're going on a big party on a train. They're taking a, a, a train for the night because it's a really fun location to kill people on. Like, there's no reason for them to do this. It doesn't even really make sense as a party, but we're going to go on a train and there's going to, we're going to be on that train. Mm-hmm. And then eventually we won't be. And then that's kind of the party vibe. I don't understand why the train is a thing. But um, we meet a bunch of characters, they're all pretty nondescript, for the most part they were in the original as well. You've got the one protagonist who was involved in the prank, but at least has the decency to feel bad about it. That so was
2: this, the,
1: this is like uh, the two versions of funny games.
2: Yeah, a little bit. <laughs>
0: they're just kind of identical. Yeah, yeah like the original, uh, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis played that character in the original, and the new one's played by an actress named uh, Robin Alomar, she's fine. Uh one of like the the frat boy leaders is just a real fucking asshole and like just wants to like destroy everyone's relationships and everything just just a sadist um he's in this one too he's played by an actor named Matthias Garrido um and uh yeah and also there's a magician on board and the magician might be killing everybody or he might just be a magician they didn't get a real magician for this oh, one, as near as like uh, I like can It would
1: have been something? really yeah. cool
0: if they got like Chris Angel or like even just anyone who's kind of like a well known or even semi well known. Get Rudy magician. Kobe. Rudy Kobe, Kobe would have done it. <laughs> I bet Rudy Kobe would have done it. Probably I'll, would've. I'll bet you anything he would have done it. But um in any case, he's he's on there. He might be the killer. Someone's the killer, and then it turns out it was that person. Oh, and then uh, they, they they fight that person, and then the movie's over. Terror Train is not complicated. Never has been, and apparently never will be. Because it's not much to it, really. Uh, the new film is... It's weird because it's like... I don't know if it's a Tubi original or if Tubi just acquired it. Uh-huh. Uh, but the gore isn't super gory. Uh-huh. It's, not, it's not like... It probably would be an R if it was rated. But it's not like especially gory Okay. there's no nudity in it not that there really needs to be but a lot of slasher films deal in prurience so it's yeah. worth noting whether or not it has any of that so the whole thing feels a little safe and the, and the whole thing just looks like a modern low-budget movie like it's everything's uh, too bright everything there's not really any atmosphere uh-huh. uh, the sets are fine like it looks like they filmed on either a real train
1: or a pretty convincing studio no, it's they, it's they, not like Money Plane, where they just like <laughs> set up a bunch of cardboard walls. No, it's not.
0: It's definitely not that bad. They, right. they 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 either put together a semi convincing set or they filmed on a semi convincing mm. train. <laughs> Money Plane is pretty magical, by the way. I've never seen it. I need to see it.
1: Yeah, I was about to say. We don't, I don't think we reviewed Money Plane. We did
0: not properly review Money Plane, but we've the, we've heard the legends, and I guess you oh, saw it. I've seen. I've seen okay. Money Plane. Yeah. I need to get around to that one of these days, if only. I'll so like, to I guess i need to talk to Lon Harris about... Uh, <laughs> Lon Harris is a a, a friend of ours. Uh, I actually worked at a video store with him. Yeah, uh, and we were on the showdown I, I, together. Yeah, we were on the Schmodown. Yeah, and uh, he's he's a really, really great follow on Twitter. He's very, very funny. Uh, he talks about Money Train constantly. Money Plane. That's right, Money Plane. <laughs> Money Train is a different movie. Money Train's actually pretty good. Um, but yeah, Terror Train. If you've never seen the original Terror Train... See the original Terra Train. There's like literally no reason to see this version instead. Like, if unless it's like it's... It, unless the other one is like somehow vanishes from existence somehow. Like yeah. the producers of the remake got like one wish because they went through Ozzy's dungeon and they decided to eliminate the original Terra Train so that their version is the only one in existence. And they can get all that money. Be an interesting premise for her movie. I guess it might be. Uh, but the, uh, yeah, it's it's just patently unnecessary. Like they they brought nothing new to it, and I kind of wish it. You know. I didn't particularly care for Halloween Ends. Okay. I felt like they they tried to do something new, and I admire the effort, but I didn't think it worked. But um, it it really just raises the 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 the. It reminds you that um, doing nothing new is just pointless. It's just uh, yeah. The uh, it feels it doesn't even feel like an exercise. It's just uh, kind of boring.
1: Looking back, I think the low points of horror. Mm. was that remake wave that we mm. had in sort of like the mid-2000s. Yeah. Where, uh, okay, we came out with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2003. That's sort of the, horror movies have had, of course, been remade before. Many of times. Yeah, how yeah. many Dracula movies are there, for goodness sake? Yeah. But uh, taking something that was like, in in, a, in the recent me- in recent memory
2: yeah
1: and remaking it like Texas Chainsaw from 74 to 2003 it's like that was still a known quantity sequels yeah. had already been made mm-hmm. it was still part of the consciousness but, but the sequels had
0: fallen out of favor they hadn't gone like yeah, had like so, a major theatrical release in a while so yeah. the name is something
1: everyone knew but the movies were kind of yeah, out so, of circulation it's like we're gonna remake the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and that, that that's a bizarre animal that remake because yeah. at least they did something different they had, they yeah, had a different they, vibe they, it's like they really changed the aesthetic of it so It's actually really kind of like gorgeously photographed and really Mm. kind of looks very painterly Mm. in a way. But more
0: uh, oppressive. Yeah. Yeah, it was like it's like it's like a genuinely oppressive movie experience, not just the events in it. Like watching it Mm. is feels like punishment in in like a scary way. Like that's what they're going for. They want they want you to just be absolutely uncomfortable the entire Mm. time.
1: Uh, that one was such a big hit yeah. that everybody started optioning. What can we remake? Mm. And it was so rare. Yeah, like so, there were so many of them. Uh, one or two have got, have got to be good. Early yeah. early on there at least by accident. Yeah,
0: you know, I'm trying to remember. And, uh, I feel like there's got to be at least a couple. Like uh, I didn't uh, see the remake of The Hitcher. I know some people like the remake of The Hitcher. Yeah, there was. Uh, yeah. There was uh, the the we just said prom night. Prom mm-hmm. night stinks.
1: I didn't yeah, see the remake it, of The Stepfather. It was the remake of The Stepfather, remake of, Last House of The House uh, on the Left, remake Friday of Amityville the, Horror. Amityville Horror. Uh, and that was like the, the 11th movie in that series. Yeah. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th. Oh, yeah. and, Friday the 13th was a yeah, good one. For, it, it was pretty good. It was okay. For, uh, yeah, for that was, franchise, that's a pretty good installment. Yeah, I was about to say, that <laughs> not a very high bar for that series, but no, yeah, it, but it's, it, definitely, was, it's an enjoyable film. Yeah, it's definitely one of the better of that wave like, of remakes. It actually yeah. like cohered better than... Uh, a lot of the previous yeah. uh, sequels it gave you what you wanted <clears throat> out of that movie yeah but uh for the most part they were just repeating a lot of what you know yeah they weren't bringing like such new angles that they were interesting oh it uh, was
0: uh, oh uh, i'm trying know if this was even before that or not but um what was the um uh, have you checked on the children what was that movie with uh, uh, don't answer the phone no well no well that's The message of the movie, but no, it's not the. the Oh, when a stranger calls. When a stranger calls, it' a remake of When a Stranger Calls, and I actually I saw saw that one. That one's weird because they actually the most famous part of the original When a Stranger Calls is the opening, Mm -hmm. when Carol Kane plays a babysitter, and someone keeps sending her creepy phone calls. Yeah, and the calls are Have you checked on the children? Because the children are asleep upstairs, and she's getting really freaked out. And she calls the cops, and this is like a campfire story people tell now. But it's basically like uh, then the cops are like, No, the, there's another phone line inside the house. The calls are coming from inside the house, get out of the house. They decided to make that, and that's the first act of the movie, and then like mm. the killer goes to jail and then gets out of jail and it's a whole thing. They decided to make that opening act the whole remake. Yeah. And it is padded. <laughs> that's a solid of, twenty uh, the, minutes that the you made an hour
1: just sort and a half. Wandering around oh. that house. I don't know why I remember her name, but it was an actress named Camilla Bell. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, all of, like, that whole wave of it, it kind of died down after a while. People lost, yeah. they ran out of things to remake, essentially. Yeah. they've made a few sense. Um, Evil Dead was actually a pretty good remake. It was all right. Like, yeah. that, that movie's wild with its gore. Yeah. Um, but like I said, there are some that are pretty good. Yeah. but the entire wave like of that that whole subgenre mm. of horror remakes is largely useless. Yeah. It was Very a lot of fe- lot no one of, had a take. Yeah, it, it no was one had just, a reason to do it. Just uh coasting on name recognition alone, yeah. not dealing with any kind of uh, interesting filmmaking or ideas for the most part. And now we've reached the point where it's it's already collapsed, like it's died out. Yeah. And only People like the Asylum are bothering to pick it up. It's like, oh, yeah. we got the rights
2: to this thing. It's
0: like literally, oh, wait, we went through that entire remake mm. trend and we forgot to do Terror Train.
2: Mm.
1: Well,
0: we don't have a lot of money, but fuck it. Let's just do it. We all the name. And yeah. And and surely
1: someone out there knows the name Terror Train. We change
0: a couple of lines of dialogue and the ending a smidge so that it feels like there's a little bit of a twist. Mm. And then it's based, but it's basically just Terror Train. Yeah. The, there's even like, uh, uh, like, there's this one like, Bar in Terra Train, where like there are lights underneath like the counter, mm-hmm. and it's clearly there because the cinematographer was trying to find a way to make a train look interesting visually. Okay, they even copied that in this one, wow. like it just just to get that aesthetic, just to remind you of the original. Um, yeah, it's 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 not incompetent, like it's 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 like functional. <laughs> like, I'm not like it's not like you don't got of like wow, what a this is barely a movie, like it's not like awful. But it really just goes to show how much Terror Train's, like, professionalism and excellent visual aesthetic saved that movie from mediocrity. Mm-hmm. Because other than, like, the the sort of, like, the, the being able to brag about having Jamie Lee Curtis and David Copperfield in it, it's basically the cinematography that makes that movie work. Mm-hmm. And without th- any star power, and without sort of a visual panache in any regard you've got a meat and potatoes unremarkable but technically watchable horror movie mm. like it's not unwatchable mm-hmm. it's just kind of pointless Uh-oh. so if you're gonna see it there's literally no and that's not even like well if you want to see it done like and like really screwed up you can see this version. like you don't even need to see that you only need to see the original terror train If you happen to see this, there's worse shit out there. But you really just see the original Terror Train. I
1: I think a film review that ends with, there's worse shit out there, is not a very good, not a glowing brain. Well,
0: I feel like that way, too, about, uh, I was thinking about about, uh, Black Adam, where I'm thinking Mm. about, like, how our, our standards for superhero movies should be higher by now. Than to just be like, eh, I turned my brain off." Like your standards haven't been raised by now. There's so many superhero movies that I feel like Actually they should have not...
1: done some interesting. things. Yeah,
0: and like some of the, and some of them are even not very good, but more fun than this. Hmm. Like I feel like it should be okay to say that it, we should be past the point where we feel the need to support this because we're afraid they'll take it away from us.
1: Like,
2: the, the, yeah, yeah,
0: the,
1: the genre is secure. It's okay to yeah, say the, some of them stink. The, the language surrounding a lot of, like, gigantic blockbusters where uh, you'll log mm. onto social media. I saw this movie, support Black Adam. No, this this it is doesn't a one hundred million dollar studio picture. Yeah. It doesn't need support.
0: No, it's fine. Like it, it's been pretty well supported. It, like you, we you don't su-
1: have to we don't you have Support the, the films that are playing for three days at your local art house made yeah. by somebody you know. That, I would even you know, Actually need a little bit of exposure. I would even say support it if it was really good
0: and it was like really tanking. Hmm. Like, they're, they're, no, they're. Even then, like was, support. Like,
1: it's supported already.
0: It got all the money it needed. I guess, I guess my, I'm guess i thinking of a situation like, let's say you genuinely enjoyed Ishtar. Okay. I would say support Ishtar. It would be like, you know, like, hey, you know what? It's getting kind of a bum rap. <laughs> can we use a little support here? Like, that's really not. I've actually never seen Ishtar, but, you know, one of these days it will. Uh, maybe a bad example. White House down.
2: <laughs> there you go. We were the
0: ones saying support White House down. Come on. Deserves better than the crap it's getting. Anyway, we need to move on. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for listening. It's time to review some movies on the critically acclaimed scale. This is where we take our long, nuanced, and rambly reviews and distill them down to a few sentences and a letter grade. But we do letter grades a little different. We rate them on a scale of C- to C+. The lowest you can get is a C minus, because that's below average. All movies that are below average are C minus. Mm. Whether they're just kind of meh or the worst thing ever. Average movies are a C, those ones are. Yeah, they're fine. Yeah, some better than others. Fine. And then there's C plus. All movies that are above average are a C plus. Whether they're <laughs> just pretty darn good or the best movie ever. Mm. Boomity boomity. Uh Terror Train. It is so mediocre that it goes down to a C-. <laughs> like, I, I can't really recommend it. There's, like, no way no re- no, It's, no. like, it's competent
1: technically, that's, but there's that's not, look, competent, that's not enough. Competent technically is the base of what we should expect from a movie.
0: Right, and, and there, there's an argument to be made that that should, by definition, be a C, but I would argue that, especially when that, there's that's, a that's better the version mi- out that's there. That's just the
1: minimum. That's I would, not a C. That's, that's, just, a, that's just the
0: minimum you expect from a movie. Yeah. So like you no, know, I would argue that this isn't. This is too mediocre, even to be mediocre. This is just mm-hmm. so generic, you know, vanilla, just meh, that it is. It's a high C minus. It's not incompetent, but it is just not worth watching.
1: Yeah, uh, uh, Slayers. You know what? I'm gonna give it a C C+. Oh, nice. I really enjoyed the the color and the energy and the wilds. Adolescent stupidity of this movie, <laughs> when, when when the uh, Batman kapow sound effects appeared on screen, it's just like, okay, you, mm. you did it. You're doing this fun, and I appreciate that.
0: Yeah. Uh, VHS 99. Uh, this is probably the most consistent of any of the VHS movies. Mm. Uh, they're all quite good, and I would argue that two installments, especially to Hell and Back, are among the series best. Excellent. So I'm going to give it a C+. Uh, let's see.
1: I'll try to catch up with that one. I that think you'll good.
0: at least the double dare one and the last one. I think you'll enjoy. All right. Uh, let's see. The Banshees of Inisherin. Uh,
1: it's. I'm gonna give it a high C. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I appreciate the the emotional honesty and sort of the richness of this place, mm-hmm. but I feel like I'm gonna have to sort of ruminate on it to really sort of figure out if this is something I can wholeheartedly recommend. You know, and actually. <laughs> Come up with a more Cogent thesis All right, Uh, Noelle Next Door Um, There You have to gauge A movie
0: by Based on what It's trying to do Yeah So you kind of Have to base Noelle Next Door On uh, how it compares To other Hallmark movies Mm. On that note It's a high C It is It gives you What you want It gives you In a slightly Unexpected way I can't expect Too much more Than that But it's never Entirely superlative But Mm -hmm. if you like Hallmark rom-coms And especially If you like The Christmas variety this is not a bad one. This is actually a pretty good one. So mm. for those fans, I'd say it's a C plus. But for everyone else, it's a high C. It's better than you're probably thinking it is. Hmm. Uh, let's see. Ticket to Paradise.
1: Uh, I, uh, I mean, this, this is the very definition of a C. This is uh, <laughs> the, the, the filler movie, the competent movie, the, yeah. the, the charming and forgettable uh, family film. Uh, it just C. Okay. Right, right up the middle there. All right, and then finally, Black Adam. Uh, that is a C minus. Yeah. It's it's incoherent. It doesn't have interesting ideas. Yeah. Uh, the, the actors aren't bringing anything interesting. A lot of thing, everything's rushed through. Mm. Uh, it it feels a lot like they're trying to set something up rather than actually tell me a story. Uh, it, it's so sad that they're. We're finally at a point where uh, uh, the big, big studios are not just being lazy about these movies. Yeah. Uh, several large, high-profile superhero films have come out this year. There's Black Adam, but there was also a, a two of the Marvel movies. Doctor
0: Strange I and mean, the Multiverse yeah. of Madness and Thor, Love and Thunder. Uh, Love, Love and, and Thunder. Thunder, yeah. Boy, were those by, underwhelming.
1: Yeah, by otherwise interesting directors, Taika yeah. Waititi and, and Sam Raimi made those movies. Yeah, they're a good And filmmaker. they are just bland. Yeah, they're not very good. They're... they're they're they have like, they have like they have moments
0: moments in moments, each that are kind of
1: cool yeah. i feel like the series is now coasting on the goodwill that they built up and if they coast too long they're gonna lose that goodwill and mm-hmm. they're gonna have to start making interesting movies again at some point
0: yeah i'm giving it a c minus as well i, I think that there's stuff in the dna of this movie
2: mm-hmm.
0: that could definitely have made a good movie i think the movie raises interesting points and then steadfastly refuses to explore them in an interesting way, mm. and it's not entertaining enough to get away with that. Yeah, uh, there's a few bits I like. I again, I happen to like the Justice Society just as a group of characters from the comics. I didn't dislike them here, but is, they did almost it, nothing.
1: Is it the same four characters in the comics? No, there's
0: a whole bunch actually. These these, oh, right. these characters are in it, but like the Justice Society is actually like a whole bunch of legacy heroes, like. Um, Hourman, Sandman. There's a whole bunch that these are not, all these are not, all like, not characters I know. These are all like it's basically <clears throat> uh, characters from the 1940s who are still sticking around, like the original version of the Flash or all the right. original version of Green Lantern back before he had like the alien power ring and he was actually magic. Like this is where those characters are, and this is where they train new. Characters to take their place in the future It's kind of okay. like all about the legacy stuff And all that stuff's actually really interesting I wish this had been more about that They tease that a little bit mm-hmm. With Adam Smasher when we meet his uncle Which is a cameo I'm not gonna ruin But uh, it's weird and feels really like We got him for five seconds <laughs> Like kind of it, it,
1: it's It's a literally phone in the performance Yeah, it's, it's performance,
0: cute yeah. I'm glad he got the payday But it really feels tacked on <laughs> But they didn't go there enough To really make it enough of the society but yeah. I, I digress uh there's a few things i like about it but the vast majority of this is underdeveloped mm. and nowhere near as interesting as it should be at this point in the superhero cycle like yeah. if this was a 19 if this came out in the year 1999 or 2000 i'd be like ooh, <laughs> there's a lot of potential in the superhero genre nowadays <laughs> nowadays i'm like ooh we are not making the most out of the potential of the superhero genre no, nowadays. Yeah, we're not,
1: not, not following through anymore. No, we
0: are not. Anyway, that is it for Critically Acclaimed this week. Thank you, buddy, for listening. We'll be back next week with reviews of other things.
1: We'll be talking about Wendell and Wilde. Yes, the we will. Least. That's uh, the animated film I mentioned, yeah. done by Henry Selick, Selick. And uh, yeah, and, and co-written by Jordan Peele Yes, it's a new it's a stop-motion animated Halloween movie for kids From the director of
0: The Nightmare Before Christmas Yes, And if that's not a reason to celebrate, I don't know what is mm. uh, So we got that and other things as well uh, Thank you everybody for listening We got other stuff coming up this week on Critically Acclaimed uh, Please stick around and listen to that Subscribe if you haven't already If you want to listen to more exclusive shows We have a whole bunch of them Head on over to patreon.com Critically Acclaimed Network to listen to those We did a commentary Trek for Morbius We mentioned it here You can listen to that To your heart's content uh, And uh, that's at Patreon.com Slash critically acclaimed Network If you want to talk About anything we discussed In this episode You want to take us to task Because you really love Black Adam Or you really loved Terror Train Really? Okay well in any case You can take love, us to task i love to hear from you You can take us to task Our email address is Letters at Critically Uh, We might read your email in an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Send us
1: an actual physical letter to the critically acclaimed network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. If you
0: haven't signed up for our Soap of the Month Club over at patreon.com slash saltcatsoap, it is not too late to sign up in time to get your soap for November. We've got some really wonderful soaps that we've got cooking up. These are our golden autumn bars. They smell of tea and a crisp autumn day. Uh, They're really really quite lovely The house has been smelling great So uh, be sure to sign up if you haven't already We appreciate everyone who already has We hope you're enjoying your glow in the dark werewolf soaps For the month of October And hope you're enjoying (coughs) your new soaps in the future Anyway we're on Twitter at CriticClaim I'm Matt William DiBiani And that is the end of the podcast Never forget everyone is a critic I wanna go to the midnight show I'm sorry what?